Mama! Mama! We made it! What it, what it, what it do That always feels incredible. Are getting great. That always feels absolutely gorgeous. Beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Mama We Made It podcast. You got your two favorite uncles in the building, Uncle Nushi and Uncle Roushi. You dig. And we have an extremely special guest in the building with us tonight. Without further ado, let me introduce to you Davin Gentry, not David, Davin not David. It's Davin Gentry, ladies and gentlemen. What it do? What up, what up, what up? How are you, my brother? First off, I would just like to say that uh, whenever I listen to that, I always thought that that was like a pre-recorded intro <laughs> that you guys, you guys play. I didn't know that it was going to be, when you said we we're going to do an intro, I didn't know you meant that type of intro. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. I love it. A lot of our guests literally get hit with that, and they always think it's like a pre-record. Every time. Every time. But we love to give it to our guests, right? right set the tone, you know what I'm saying? Fully. It's a beautiful thing. It's pretty, pretty well rehearsed. You guys Thank got you. that together. Thank you. Yes, like a hundred times. Yeah, that was the first time we did. Now we started harmonizing. Yes, just the first time was wild. Going through the waves. <laughs> it's tight. De- Devin, thank you so much for blessing us with your presence on the podcast. Yeah, thank you man. for having me. I'm absolutely honored and excited to run through your journey um, as a designer, as an entrepreneur, and as an icon to just the culture. You know what I'm saying? It's beautiful to see. Uh, it's beautiful to be able to see somebody that's come through and has created what you have and be able to really like take it a step back and come through and talk about how the human being came to this point and how beautiful that journey was along the way, the ups, downs, left, rights, diagonals right. uh, along this path that, that we call life. Mm. To get us started... Where, where where were you born? Where were you? Where'd you grow up at? I was born in. Uh, I was actually born in Greenville, Kentucky. Mm. Um, that's just that's where the hospital is. But I'm from Madisonville, Kentucky, which is uh, pretty much like Western Kentucky, Southern Indiana area. Uh, I grew up there. Uh, I lived there until twenty. 25-ish, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, well, I lived in Kentucky twenty till 25-ish. I went to school at uh, Western Kentucky University. That's okay. in Bowling Green. So, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it's still Western Kentucky, but it's at least a little bit elevated from Madisonville. Madisonville is, like, really small. I mean, they say there's, like, I don't know. They say there's 20,000 people, but it feels like there's maybe... 2000 people stop playing no yeah it's not it's not big at all um super small town it's it's kentucky so people think that it's horses farms stuff like that there's there's no farms uh i mean there there's farmland outside of where we grew up okay we grew up in madisonville it's trailer parks it's projects it's really it's rich it's a rich side of town it's a poor side of town i grew up on kind of the poor side of town. Um, so in this little city, it's literally just like a dichotomy of regions. Then. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's 
north side of town. That's like the richer part. South side, south side, east side, and west side both have rich and well, both have poor parts. Got it. Um, but yeah, I grew up. I grew up south side of Madisonville. I was there for uh, like the first. I think pretty much until like sophomore year of high school. Wow. And then sophomore year, I moved to Indianapolis for like, it doesn't really count because I was there for like two months. Got you. My mom was, she was engaged to a, uh, I don't know. He was some type of like, he worked at a hospital. I don't know what the correct terminology was, but he worked in Indianapolis. So we moved up there because they were going to get married. They ended up calling the wedding off. So I moved back home to Madisonville the day before my junior year of, of high school started. So mm. I was already enrolled in Indianapolis. I was about to go there, play like on the best basketball team in the state. Crazy. And then came back home, played on one of the worst basketball teams in the state of Kentucky. <laughs> oh uh, I mean, we were all right. We, were, we weren't that bad, but um, yeah. So that's, I mean, I grew up like in a town that's, it's not segregated, but not not by geography really. Yeah. I mean, there there aren't there not really any black people on like the north side of town. But as far as like, it's I mean it's Kentucky, so it's it's like probably like fifteen twenty years behind like mm-hmm. a lot of especially like L A. Like Absolutely. we're we're light years behind L A. For sure. Um, so there's still like. A lot of racial tension, mm. um, stuff like that. It's 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 one of those places where it's like it you don't you don't really think anything about it when you're growing up there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then when you leave and then go back, you notice that things are just a little a little Absolutely. bit shady. Sure. I was gonna also say like as as children, you know whether it's like rich, poor, uh, affluent, or you know we really don't have a scope for those things right. as kids, right? And then kind of as we grow up, we really like start understanding and realizing the separations of race and and, uh, you know, wealth and all these different factors that, that kind of like life brings. Right. Um, what was your childhood like? Uh, I mean, my childhood was probably just like like most other people. Um, I grew up. Uh, Loving Michael Jordan basketball. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm I'm 33, so I was born in '84. So, like that '80s '90s era of hip hop, uh, video games. I skated. Uh, I mean, my, my mom raised me, so I'm I'm half black, half white. My mom's white. She raised me, so I would, I would, I would get put on to like a lot of. I guess like white culture stuff, but mm-hmm. then whenever I would be with my dad, I would obviously see a different side of the world. So well, yeah. not the world, but Kentucky. Um, what was that like in in an area that had like racial tension? And, but it was it's interesting because it's so small, right? But there's so many different areas. It's like it's hard to. Uh, what was that like being a biracial kid in that environment? It wasn't. It wasn't really. I didn't even like, I didn't notice it until probably like fifth grade. Mm. That's when, I don't know. That's when I started noticing like kids would say racist things and stuff like that. I I only dealt with that a few times, but 
it was it wasn't the weirdest part about being biracial was just the fact that I'm in an area that's it does have racist people and it does have non-racist people Mm -hmm. but being half black and being raised by a white side of the family that was that was the hardest part I, I would say just my family wasn't wasn't racist I, they never like they never i guess did anything that made me feel like uncomfortable yeah but there just there was that like sense of like well what would they be like if it if i weren't me mm-hmm. like if i were if i were a white kid like what would my family be like and i think the good thing about that is i think that it 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 could have possibly steered that side of the family into a more positive direction. Like mm. if I weren't half black, who knows, like they could have, they could have been a, a racist family and I could have kind of pulled them out of that. I, I mean, we'll never know because absolutely because I'm me, but mm-hmm. um, that was, that's something that I didn't really, I didn't really think about until I got older. Like looking yeah. back, I was like, mm. I mean, I wonder what would have happened if like, if I had been white, would they have shown me like different, a different side of them that I didn't see because they couldn't show me that. So I don't, I don't know, but. Did you ever have talks like that with your mom? I didn't. And that's, that's something that I mentioned something similar to that in a a podcast that I previously did. And I'm, I'm assuming that she either didn't want to talk about it or she hasn't watched the podcast yet, but I said some things that I'm wondering if, if she may, if it may have like ruffled any feathers, I, I don't know yet, but um, I haven't, I haven't, we haven't spoken about that now. It's interesting to think about her perspective because she was with a black man, right? Right. Her father. Of course. So I wonder what she dealt like, like she probably took the brunt of it. Of course. I'm sure before. like she, she had me for one, she had me extremely young. She was 16 when she got pregnant with me. So I'm, when I was, seventh eighth ninth grade she was barely 30 wow so yeah she was she would come to like the basketball games and obviously all my friends were like yo like (laughs) like, (laughs) let me let me talk to your mom blah 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 blah." but um no i'm sure like 80s mid 80s in a in a a pretty like racially tense area she i'm sure that she probably got a lot of a lot of it, but at the same time, too, her parents passed away very early in her life. Really? Um, I never, I never met her dad or her mom. Mm. Wow. Um, I think, I think her dad passed away when she was like three or four or something like that. Like before she, I'm, before she was ten, I know wow. that much. And then her mother was around until, I guess, like. I'm guessing teenager because I mean she had me when she was a teenager and I never met her mother so I'm sure that there were probably like some parts of the family that that kind of said before she got pregnant probably like you don't need to be talking to him blah 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 but um, then I came and who knows well the the thing about that too though is like my father wasn't around so they could say negative things about him that that weren't like necessarily racist, mm-hmm. but it was okay because he wasn't around. So like if they were saying like, 
don't like you don't even need to be around your dad stuff like that it wasn't really that big of an issue because he just was he just was kind of a deadbeat dad was he in the vicinity but not around he was he was for a little bit so he would he would be in Madisonville for a little bit and he would be in Indiana Indiana Evansville Indiana is like 30 minutes from Madisonville got it that's like the it's not it's not super metropolitan but it's it's like the closest thing that we have. Um, he moved there, and he kind of bounced back and forth. And then at some point, he ended up moving to Hawaii um, and then came back. And so he was just kind of like always around. We never really had like a lot of interaction. It was It would go like we would go months, weeks, months, but like without talking. And then... He may he may pop up and him and my mom kind of had like this off and on relationship. Like she was, I think it's it's kind of like the the typical story, like high school sweetheart type thing. Where yep. she like she was, I'm sure he was her first, and she he had, I mean, she had me by him. She was probably like in love with him for forever, for sure. And then whenever he would come back, he was, I mean, he's. I I don't want to just talk super negative about him, but like for a while, he was just kind of like really good at being a con artist, and so he could he would come back, and you sense this, yeah. Mm. I mean, there was just there was just a bunch of like I would I mean we I grew up in a trailer, so my bedroom was on one end, hers is on the other, and so I could I mean I can you can hear everything in there. So when she's on the phone arguing or whatever, yeah, you hear everything. So, um. But I, it was just he would come, he would pop back in, and it would be weird, and they would they would stop talking, and then a few months later he would pop back in, it would yeah. be weird, and it's, I mean it's still like I'm 33 and it's still weird to to like I don't know our relationship's just not just not great at all, mm. but I mean it that's what that's what makes you I guess so is that something like you had talks with your mom about like. Just how did that affect you as a kid? Just like having this kind of in and out father, but like he really wasn't a figure. Yeah. It was more of like in and out of your mother's life. I just remember. I never really remember like like missing that, or because you can't really miss what you never really had. For sure. But um, I do. I do remember having talks with her when I was super super young like had to be like second grade maybe i just i i vividly remember like at one point i was like i was feeling bad and but i couldn't explain to her why and and i i still to this day i don't know i don't know if this was why but i would just vividly remember her asking if it was because of him like if that's why i felt like I don't remember. I don't remember what the context was. Like yeah. if I was sad or or what it was, but I, she clearly like she clearly spotted something that she felt like maybe maybe it was him that that I was missing. But um, it he it's just one of those topics that she would talk about it if I brought it up, but For she sure. she didn't really care to to talk about it. She she wanted me to have that relationship, but she also knew. Is one of those things like she didn't want me to get hurt, mm-hmm. so gotcha. she was like, 
Like if you want to pursue that relationship, go for it. But just be careful because he's like, he stung me a lot of times. Mm. So it's, uh, I don't know. It got, it got weird because when I got older, like when I was, when I was super, when I was little, I, I, well, it was, so it was like middle school, middle school. I went to a Catholic school because yeah. she pulled me out of public school just because she felt like the path I was going just wasn't the path that she wanted me to go to. So she pulled me out of public school, took me to a Catholic middle school. And so everybody in the school was white. I was the only, uh, the only black kid in the school, except Mm -hmm. there was another girl. She was a third grader and I was, I was a sixth grader. So it's not like we had that much in common other other than skin tone. But, um, so like middle school, I hung out with just all white kids because that's all that was at my school. Mm-hmm. But then I played basketball. So like basketball practice games and stuff like that, I would have my my quote unquote black friends. Um, but then you're at school most of the day. So most of my friends were white until high school. And that's when I kind of, I, I kind of, uh, I guess, I don't know. I just naturally just started hanging out with more black people. I don't know if it was just because of sports or just like and things in common. Um, because like I said, Madisonville is one of those places where it's 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 still kind of segregated. Like yeah. white kids hang out with white kids, black yeah. kids hang out with black kids. If a black kid hangs out with white kids, they call that black kid white. And so on and so on. So it was just like kids a, can be ruthless. No, bro. for sure, it's insane. Yeah, it's bad. I mean, and especially in a, a city like that, like when <laughs> it's just. I think it's just such like a such a a small town that like if somebody wants to take a jab at you, they're gonna take the the hardest jab they can. They're I gonna they're gonna say something that stings to like the the most ultimate level. So. Um, but I, I started hanging out with more black kids in high school. And then that's when, that's when I found myself like noticing the absence of my dad and like really trying to not so much figure out why he wasn't there, but I was, I was more, I guess like that's when I was trying to like have a, have a relationship with him more. Got it. Sure. Cause you're um, becoming a man. Right. That and then I, and that's when I'm like, when I'm becoming a man is when I need that fatherly, Absolutely. fatherly guidance. And I was, I mean, I was making all kind of like terrible decisions and not to say that if he had been around, I wouldn't have, cause I'm, I'm sure like I probably would have made the same decisions, but that's when I would, I remember saying a couple of things to my mom, like, you just don't want me to hang around him because he's black and like mm. you don't want me that was that was the weird the weird thing about it is i felt like if i if i did hang out with my black side of the family yeah that my white side of the family either felt like i was trying to betray them or turn my back on them or That's like i didn't i didn't want to be white or and i think that part of that could be just from like friendships I remember having like a couple friends, like when I got to high school, 
saying some stuff like these were kids that like I went to the Catholic school with. Yeah. And I remember them saying some stuff like, oh, Davin doesn't hang with us anymore because we're not black enough and, mm. and stuff like that. And so I don't know, like I think all of that stuff kind of like circulating in my head is kind of what it's just, so many people in your head. It, it kind of like absolutely it gets to you eventually. So it's uh. I don't know, it, like looking back on it, as I, like I said when we were talking outside, it, doing stuff like this really gives me a chance to like reflect on on that yeah. type of stuff. Um, and I, I haven't thought about that in a while, but I mean, that, I, go ahead. I was going to say, this topic is always so interesting to me because especially with uh, biracial kids, half black, half white, you know, the thing is, is like what I've, what I've learned from... Uh, being around, having friends that are biracial, right. my wife is biracial, is that in me being a white guy, you have to like learn these things, right? Right, of course. So that you, you know, and she, my wife's like you, she was raised by her, her white mother, her white family. Um, but you learn that like you're black. You're not, it's, yeah, technically like you're half white, half right. black, but yeah. race is one of those things that like, you actually don't really get the choice of what you no, are as sure, everyone sure. else, right? So you walk out the house, you like, you don't get to tell, you don't even get the opportunity to tell somebody, well, wait, wait, I, I'm, I am, you know, my mom's white and I was raised by my right. white mom. <laughs> but like, uh, like, no, no, you're black. Right. And so I'm, I, I'm always so interested about how this topic and how, uh, about this topic and how it um, affects people's upbringing in, in the different areas and, really the identity that, that you take on, especially in your case where like you go home and you're raised by this white family. Right. Did you have brothers or sisters? I do, but I was, I mean, I was pretty much an only child until 23. Wow. So mm. I, I do. So God, I have a half sister on my dad's side. She's, she's a few years younger than me, but she was, when my dad moved to Hawaii, I don't, and I don't really know the story, but all I know is when he came back from Hawaii, I had a sister, <laughs> but I don't know, like, <laughs> I don't know if, if he got her mother pregnant and they went to Hawaii or if he moved to Hawaii and then she got pregnant and they came back here. Mm -hmm. But I do know that when he came back from Hawaii, I was, I was in elementary school and he was living in Indiana and he had um he had my sister and then she had two older brothers. Mm -hmm. And so my sister is like half ah oh man, it's 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 that's how kind of messed up it is. It I don't I don't really know like her full ethnicity. I wanna say that she's half black, half Filipino. Mm. Um but so her it was my sister, her two older brothers. And then their mother and my dad. So they all lived in Indiana and I would go stay with them like, I don't know. I, I stayed with them a few times. I don't really know how many, but I would go up there and um, I really don't even remember what the question, like what, where we were going with that. Don't worry, no, we're going, um, we're going to reel well, it I'm back. Trying to, I'm trying to reel back to where, with what, what I was getting at, but. No, we were just on the topic of um, just your identity Oh, I, well, I know what I was going to say is that until recently, I didn't really say I'm black 
I would say I'm half black. I'm I'm half black, half white. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was just something that I just wasn't. I think if I think if it were reversed and my mother was black, Mm. I think that it would have been something that was like it was taught to me to like be proud of this. Like and it wasn't to where my mom was like, don't be proud of this. But she she didn't she's white she didn't know yeah. she didn't know what to tell me so sure, sure. for one she's got a half black son and I mean for one I'm half black and I'm a and I'm a son so she doesn't know how to tell me to be a man yeah. nor how to be a black man so mm-hmm. until recently that's when I was like I mean I'm black and we were talking about this the other day it was like for a while. You used to even have an option. Well, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily an option, but when you would fill out like a little questionnaire or whatever, and it would ask for for race and all of that stuff, it would it would have black, white, all Hispanic, everything else, and then maybe other. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was there's not like a biracial <laughs> thing, and so sometimes I would put both. Sometimes I would put other. Sometimes I would put black. And then, and now as I'm older, I, I put black. And I think it's because of, like you said, like whenever you, whenever you get older, you do notice that regardless of, regardless of what I say I am, people, people see like whatever they want to see. They're not going to see, oh, he's, he's half black, half white. They're yeah. going to say he's, he's black. But I mean, even in some instances, they think that I'm, like uh, Puerto Rican and, and all kind of other <laughs> stuff, but um, yeah, I mean, I think that 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 really like I don't think that I think that as far as like Davin goes and his story, I don't think that I had an identity until recently. Wow. I mean, I I did have one, but I w- it wasn't one that I like For, like a self proclaimed identity. And I think it was kind of in search of right. I think I was I was constantly searching like what what am I am I am I half black am I black am I half white like what is it? And I think that it's I think if you take my story and put it in a different location, mm. the story is probably a little bit different. <coughs> but being in Kentucky, that's just like that like slows down the story even further because it takes, it takes, it's so far behind that it, like, I'm like always fighting to like catch up. Mm. And I think that that's why I, up until recently, that's when I I started like, I started saying I'm black because it, it took me so long to, to realize that, like to, to fully grasp what I was. I mean, mm. obviously I knew what I was, but just, it's a, I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird place. Like I don't, if, if I had, if you did put that story in a different area, obviously the story would be so much different for sure that it wouldn't make me what I am. I wouldn't have the, that context of that. I feel like it's also a context of the family and and the, the internal home element. Right. Right. Cause like when, when you look at families that like, have both parents in, or maybe both parents are split up, but they're still present parents, you know what I'm saying? Or then you have the son that gets raised fully by the mother and the dad's non-existent. Like, there's so many different, like, Tetris pieces right. that could be placed and, and, and really play a role in kind of the the 
the developmental scenarios of us as human beings right, sure. as we're growing in these things. Like even my parents, like, you know, my mom and my dad just couldn't communicate. They always got into fights. Like, I used to see them, like, throwing shit at each other or right. yelling at each other, but, like, throwing to miss. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I hate when, you. Yeah, literally, like, when they're so fed up, they don't know what to do. My mom's screaming. My dad's screaming to get my mom to stop screaming. And then it becomes, like, the you see the plates going, just throwing that way. And then mom's throwing something. Dad's here. Mom's just throwing that way. Um, but one thing that that really, you know, I noticed... From my parents, you know, it's naturally a struggle of like parents breaking up, moving, this, that, and the other, new guys coming into the mom's right. life and having to deal with that. But one thing that I really feel fortunate of is that my dad and my mom both made sure to let me know at all times that like they were there as parents, right. you know, and, and no fault to each each other, that they're always there. And I'm always the central focus of what the nucleus of their family of course. is. You know, and although it it really affected me, them splitting up, there's a, just a, a level of comfort that one has when you know both parents are around. Oh, for sure. And especially for, like, a man, you know, to have his father there to, like, help show him the ropes of being a man and, and instilling that, which is something that, regardless of how strong a mother is, they just, they're unable to, to, to give the boy that comfort. Right. You know what I mean? Like they could be there and be, there's so many strong women out there that handle both roles like a champion. Of course. But there are just things that, you know, in the nucleus of the family that it's a necessity that, you know, whether parents are there or not, that there's some level of presenthood in, in, in the family. Right. I mean, and I think that like it, it's, it's one of those stories where and, I, and me and me and my father, we haven't had a conversation like this in in a while. So, or if ever, I mean, we've I've I've said things to him that have kind of like provoked the conversation a couple of times. But I don't I don't necessarily think that he just blatantly didn't want to be there. But I also don't want to play the the my father wasn't around, so I didn't know how to to be a father. For sure. Because my father wasn't around, and I knew that if I did ever have a kid, that that's not how I was going to do that. For so sure, sure. The fact that he didn't have a father should have been enough reason for him to to like step up and be there. But yeah. it wasn't, and and it's crazy when we think about it too. Like being so young, right? Also, it's like right. Sometimes it's just like you know, in people's lives where they really are or ignorant or to the fact or just like juvenile to the fact of like what the shit really means. And that's something that I think about a lot when I think how I mentioned that I was let's see, if if I if, if I let's see, my mom was like seventeen when she had me. So if you're like sixteen, seventeen yeah, and the she's, kid came she's thirty three. So she's my age now with a seventeen year old. Yeah. And so I think like I don't even have any kids. So let alone like if I had a kid that's a junior in high school, like that's like I was I have a five year old dog. Like that's <laughs> yeah, I, I I couldn't I can't imagine like what the pressure and and that's I think that's part of the thing that like I will say that one of my one of my traits and 
it's it's a fault at a lot of times is I see things I see things from multiple perspectives that a lot of times I give people the benefit of the doubt too many times. And then at the same time, rarely I see something in someone that I'll give them a second chance and it was for the, it was for the good. Mm. Um, so I think that instead of, instead of me being 33 and being like super bitter and mad that he wasn't here, um, I think that I, because of, because of my ability to see things from a different perspective, for sure, I, I know that maybe he was just, he was immature and, he didn't know he didn't have he wasn't given the tools either to to be the father. So uh, I, I'm not mad at him. Obviously, I think that he did a, a pretty terrible job, but I mean, that turned out OK. Absolutely. I mean, that's life. You right. Know what I'm saying it's and, and, you know, it's crazy when we think about it, like all of us have a story. Right. And like nobody really lives a picturesque life. No, like, for sure. So many of us look at families and see it from a from afar and you know get caught up in this like comparison game but it's like you really never know what's going on behind closed doors in a household and let alone like imagine being born in fucking Syria right now no. you know what i'm saying it's I mean, like it is actually way more rare to have yeah. like even both parents for sure just like i i can maybe count on my hand how many friends parents are still together to this day like maybe yeah. right you know but it's it's interesting when you think about that, like even your mom being so young and you think about yourself, like go back to think about like your 20 year old self immediately. Like I didn't Bro. know shit. Go to your 25 year old self. I had no clue. Right. Go to your 30 year old self. You're like, oh, 30? I mean, bro, I'm like, like <laughs> you think about it. That's only yeah. three years ago. And you're like, I didn't know shit back then. Right. You know, For real. And to think about like your mom you know, raising you that entire time as basically like a kid. Yeah, you know? absolutely. You know, no, so she was, ways. she was, she was a soldier for sure. Yeah. And I was, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> terrible, but I put her through a lot of like, I mean, there's like some, a lot of scary stuff that she had to go through. So take um, us through your kind of like your, your, your personal growth as a kid, like in like the elementary ages and just like growing up as a kid, what were your interests? Like, what were your escapes? Did you have the aspirations, you know, when your teachers are like, you could be anything you want? Um, what, what was that time period like for you? All the while dealing with, you know, what you were going through family-wise, did you have, like, escapes that you went to, go-to-wise? Like, what, what, what kind of, like, you know, how were you growing up at that time? Uh, I mean, I think that... Like probably like most kids, basketball was was my first um, my first like true love. Mm. I played AAU traveling teams, like everything. So basketball kept me busy. I, I would guess I guess you would say that was my escape. Um, I would play basketball. I would I would go to school, and then I would take. There was like a YMCA after YMCA after school fun club. And the YMCA bus would pick you up from school, take you to the Y. And then it was like you were in this. It's almost like a daycare type thing until like I love five, the YMCA, bro. No, for sure. Until 5 p.m. And then that's when everybody's parents were supposed yep. to pick their kids up. Mm. My mom was a hairstylist and she would work until 
like eight or nine, I think. So I was at the Y so much that whenever after school fun club was over, they would walk me because this was like there was the YMCA building and then the after school fun club was across the parking lot. So one of the counselors would walk me over (laughs) from the fun club thing to the actual Y after the club ended and then I would stay there until my mom would would get off um, from work. Mm. So from five until nine, I was just at the Y playing with, I'm I'm in second, third, fourth, fifth grade playing, just playing whatever, like one-on-one, five-on-five, whatever, but I would play with like the adults or whoever was playing because I would, I mean, I was, I was super good. Just, <laughs> yeah. just call it what it is, but um, I mean, basketball was like the first thing. I, obviously, like baseball cards, that was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, bikes, I got. I remember saving up two like two hundred and sixty dollars. It took me forever to get a, a VFR. That was like. I don't remember what year that I guess that was like fourth, fifth grade. Mm-hmm. So two hundred and sixty dollars at fourth grade. What were luck- you doing to what were you doing to get the money? Luckily, I mean I would have like chores that I would probably get Got like five dollars a week. Yeah. But then my grandma well, I called her my grandma. It was it was my mom's grandma, but my so my great grandmother, she she had this coffee basically the same coffee thing you just pulled out from the, <laughs> from that thing. <laughs> Uh, she had one of those that was just full of like coins. And so like every time I would go, I would just like take some here and there. <laughs> yep. And then eventually she was like, look, you already took like a hundred dollars out of it. Just cause it was, I mean, it was legit like the huge Folgers can yeah. and it was full of like quarters and like even rolled up pennies that were already like mm-hmm. packaged and everything. So eventually I think I had like, I had like $200 and my mom was like, look, you've earned it. Like I'll pay for the rest. And we went and got the bike. But, um, so bikes, uh, that had to be an incredible feeling for you. That was, and the the saddest part about it is like, that was when I got that bike, I, I loved it for like maybe a year, but then that was the age where, um, like, like skating took over, but I wasn't, I started with skateboarding. (coughs) I started with skateboarding in like fifth grade. I got my mom got me a, a board for Christmas, um, and I was I was I was never like super good at that. I was better at rollerblading, and so like rollerblading, that's when it like really took off. And especially in in Kentucky, like California, skateboarding I'm sure has always been yeah. way bigger. But for sure, um, started skating. I did that for really from fifth grade until like 10th grade. Oh, wow. And I, I mean, I was good at that too. I mean, it was, that was, I say basketball was my first true love, but the one thing that I look back on and regret not like pursuing more was skating. Mm. Um, Why but is that? I, I don't know. Like, I think, I think maybe one, because I gave basketball like the, the life that it that it needed Mm -hmm. I should have I should have went to college and played but I was over like organized sports at the time um and I only say that I should have went to college and played because I went to college and paid (laughs) or paying so I should have just taken the scholarship looking back but um 
I don't know. Skating's just one of those things that like, like still to this day, I haven't skated in 15 years, but like still to this day, I still think about it and like wish that I had skates and that I could just go hit it like a skate park or whatever. Um, and I'm sure like at some point that'll be like a goal of mine to like pick that back up and mm-hmm. at least for, for fun until I get hurt. But <laughs> Man, I'm like, um, I'm the same way with skateboarding. I like from sixth grade to 10th grade, right. it's like hardcore skateboarding. And like I play sports, it was like soccer and karate and shit like right. that. But skateboarding and I'm sure it's the same thing with like rollerblading is that and skating is that like it's there's something artful to it. It's such an individual thing. Right. right? Like I think you kind of especially for maybe someone like who who's battling with their identity. I think you kind of find a lot of your identity mm-hmm. in that not only with just the art and the sport of it, but with like the community that builds around it, too. You know, and, you know, in the style, too. Right. Um, and the culture of, of all that as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that when when I didn't when I didn't identify as, as black or white, I think that that was my identity was the the fact that I was I was good at things that I was good at things that, that white kids did. And I was good at things that black kids did. Mm-hmm. I was I was really good at sports and I was really good at skating uh, just uh, kind of like anything I picked up, I just, if I was into it, I could, I could get good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one, like one story that everybody will tell, like from back home is the fact that like, I would, like you would see Davin skating in the projects, but then you would see Davin take off his skates and playing basketball in the projects. And so I could, I think, uh, what's his name mentioned it, the, Ali from Norwood, he mentioned like skating to Wu-Tang and then playing basketball. And I can't remember the, I can't remember how. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was like. You just didn't see it at all. Right. Well, but there actually I did because it was like, if you skated, you were considered white. And if you played basketball, you were, I mean, you weren't considered black, but primarily mostly black people played basketball. So, um, so there, like, I think that when you, think about the geography you did see that because mm-hmm. well it may have not have even been to where i saw it but people would mention it so i had no choice but to like recognize Absolutely. it sure i probably was oblivious to it i just wanted to skate and thought like i'm good at it what like what's the color of your skin matter it's like it's four wheels on each foot like that doesn't have anything to do with your For skin sure. so but no that's the skating was like Skating was like the the most exciting, like looking back at my childhood, skating was like the most exciting. Like It brought you the most joy? Traveling to, I think because there was so much that was involved in it. Like you said, the style, there were skate tapes, there was skate competitions, there was like different skate parks and different communities. And I mean, Madisonville, we didn't, we didn't even have a skate park until 2000, I mean, uh, yeah, probably like 2001. Mm. And I had been skating like six years before we got a skate park. And sure. so when we got it, even though it was, it was a terrible one, like we loved it. Um, but just the, I think that the community of skating, the the style, I, I remember looking back or I remember like the styles looking back, like getting the shoes and, and we had a skate shop that was uh like 20 minutes away that there was like a big thing if you got to go to it and, and get like your whole 
like all your school clothes from there and stuff like that. Or like you got like the, the Nike SB bag or mm. the Senate bag or whatever. So those were like the, that was like the first excite, the, the first exciting like stage of my life that I can remember. Then, I mean, basketball took over and it got to where I was just too busy playing basketball to where I just couldn't skate anymore. And my skating friends, that's when you kind of saw like, my skating friends saying like, oh, the, Davin's not hanging with us anymore. He's mm. he's too black for us and stuff like that. And so. <laughs> How'd that make you feel? I mean, it, obviously it makes you feel terrible because that's not, that's not the case at all. Like, Absolutely. Um, but it just was, that's just how, that's just how Madison, I'm not, I won't even say it's how Madisonville was. I'm pretty sure it's just how kids are. Like, sure. yeah. it's just, it's just something that they do, but. I mean, it made me feel, it made me feel bad because these were like the kids that I skated with. Those are like the kids that I spent the most time with before basketball. And so those were best friends. And then for them to say that, like it hurt on a level of not only is it not true, but it hurt because it made me feel like I hurt them. Like they, they're thinking that I'm like, like, oh yeah, like picking sides. And that, that was the toughest part is I never... I never wanted to to make anybody feel like neglected. Sure. Um but no, yeah, I miss I miss skating a lot. So I got to find a I got to find a skate shop and go pick up some new some new skates. Yeah, man. And so throughout high school in in kind of like going through that in the adolescence of that without, you know, the father figure there, you're getting you're into basketball, you had the skating element probably get into some trouble like you mentioned right the culmination of all those where did you kind of gravitate towards as you you kind of start to transition out of high school uh in terms of just like interest in 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 what that next step was yeah so i mean after after high school it really at first my first interest was probably like music Mm. at first it was like like me and the homies rapping or whatever. I I had saved up some money from I think graduation and got like a some little weird mixer and you could you could plug a mic up to it and and record into it. But to like to export the file, you had to do something weird. So I couldn't even really export the music. Mm-hmm. We would just record on it and then it, it would just be it would just live on this little box. And then eventually I found out how to hook it up to the computer. And this was like, I mean, I won't say it's like early Pro Tools days, but this was like, I feel like there was like that renaissance of like the home studio where it was like, you had like your like Cubase and mm-hmm. all of these like plug, or all of these pro uh, programs that you could just, you could download on whatever, like whatever platform that you would steal stuff from. Um, LimeWire, so, yeah. literally uh, LimeWire, yeah. yeah, all of those. You download something; it might take you like two days to download a, a, yeah. a program, and then you download it, and you have to have like the the key generator, and then it might yep. not even work, and all of that stuff. But <laughs> so we found out how to to record on the computer, and that I mean that kind of like opened up a new world for me because at first it was just fun, like like plugging up the mic to the mixer and recording and stuff like that. But then once I started 
actually messing with Pro Tools and and all of these other programs, I kind of fell in love with um, with like the actual recording process. Like I at, at one point had thought about dropping out of college and uh, going to to be an audio engineer. So going to school for audio really? engineering. Yeah. Did you go to college right after high school? I went to community college. Um, so I graduated high school in 03. I went to community college for like a year and a half and I wasn't even going to go directly. I was going to take a semester off. I mean, like just, I was going to wait and figure out like if I wanted to go to college, but then eventually my mom was like, you're either going to go to college or you're going to get, go get like a, a legit job. And in, in Madisonville, like the job selection is, is horrendous. So I was like, all right, I'll just go to college and collect a financial aid check. So I went for a year and a half. And then I eventually, like some friends of mine were going to Western Kentucky University. And I was like, well, I'll just go to like if if financial aid is going to pay for me to go, mm-hmm. I'll just go there. And at, so like at first, like music was was big. I won't even say at first, but during that time, I was I was recording music. But then I was also hand painting shirts. And that was kind of like my, that was my first, first legit hustle, I'll say. So where this creative side, because you're going in from sports, like hyper, like active, you know, sports. You got basketball, skating, doing these, these you know, high active acti- activities. Um, when did that creative side just start tapping into it? Well, that, I mean, that's really when, as far as like, I guess fashionably, that's when it t- I tapped into it. But I always, I was always an artist, um, like from like as as early as I can remember, like being able to hold a, a pencil. Like I, I always was like in love with with drawing. Really? So, yeah. So early, like we got there. Yeah, you did. I'm glad you went back to it. Um, so. Like growing, growing up super early on, I would go. So when I mentioned my grandmother's house, my aunt, so it's technically my great aunt, her house was next door to my, my grandmother's house. And so she, Wanda was like a, a super good artist. Like she, I don't, I don't even know where she picked it up, but she, she's who put me on to like Bob Ross. And so we would wow. watch Bob Ross at like, when it actually, it wasn't just re-airs, like they were actually yeah. coming on TV. Live. Right, live. <laughs> and so. Um, when Bob was in no, full swing. like the sw- actual episode. Yeah. Like, yeah. Bob was in full swing. Yeah. Right. And so she she taught me how to draw. Um, and I remember we had a, we had a, the newspaper in Madisonville, and I don't, it may still be around, but it was called The Messenger. And they had this thing where you could, I guess you could submit artwork and they would pick like whatever artwork of the week or month or whatever. And I drew Raphael, the Ninja Turtle. And this, it was, I don't know, it had to be like 89 or something just because I feel like I remember seeing the year like on the the uh, piece of paper or whatever. But I drew that and it got picked and it was, I mean, it was terrible. <laughs> But you're, that's just you're like, like you're like five. <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Terrible. But like said, that shit wasn't my best work. But. No, yeah, <laughs> literally five. But uh, so she, I mean, she taught me how to draw, and then 
when I was in middle school at the Catholic school, my friend Christian, uh, this little Cuban kid, he was like, this is, this is when like I was, I started being put on to a whole different, like, I don't even know what, what you would call it, but like, I guess like a lifestyle that I, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of, but he was, he's the one that put me on to like Dragon Ball Z. And so mm. we will, we will watch Dragon Ball Z and he was like into like, I remember going to his house. His father was a, his father was like a stomach doctor. So they had, they had a, a good amount of money. I went to his house and he had this crazy desk with like a whole kit of Prisma markers, which are, are crazy expensive, like for a sixth grader to yeah. have. Mm. Um, but he had like this whole station that was just so like legit. Like it looked like he had his own comic book, like, company <laughs> but he was actually he would he was making his own like comic book that he would just hand draw so he would just flip the page and like draw a new story or whatever but he put me on to like a lot of a lot of like tv shows dragon ball z stuff like that and we would just like draw all day in in class and so so sixth sixth seventh eighth grade i'm just kind of like sharpening my mm. my art skills then you get to high school. I'm I'm doodling in class, and then when I would take art, and then obviously excel in that. Mm-hmm. But I never really, I never really thought like, oh, I'll go off and do anything with my art. And then after after high school, I met this guy named Pinky. <laughs> Shout out to Pinky. Shout out to Pinky. Up, Pinky? Um, Pinky was from like, he was from a different city in Kentucky, but. There's this white dude who was like, he was, he was super fly. Like he, he painted shoes, but he would paint shirts to like match the shoes. So this was, this was like, Oh three when, when Dipset was like, like Dipset was everything as far as style to me and my, and my friends in, in, uh, in Oh three. But so he would paint shoes. He might paint you like, something crazy but then he would just like splatter the paint on the t-shirt and the t-shirt was it was only cool because i mean it was only cool to me because it matched the shoes got it mm-hmm. if there was it wasn't like it wasn't like fire or piece of work or anything like that it's just it was new at the time yeah and so i think i i tried to i tried to paint shoes i tried to do my own thing because he was in a, a totally different part of the state so I was gonna be like the pinky of of Madisonville, and I, but I I never really got good at painting the shoes. I only mm-hmm. did it like once or twice, and I was like, nah, that's that's not that's Just, not the canvas I want to use. Got mm-hmm. it. And so I I focused more on the shirts because nobody in Kentucky was doing the shirts, and so I got I mean I got pretty good. That's really what sharpened my painting skills. I I never really painted like growing up. I only I only drew. Mm-hmm. But then when it became like, when it became the the cool thing, that's when I kind of like sharpened the the painting skills. And so 2004, I had, I mean, I kind of had created my own company where it was just custom hand painted shirts. It was called Gully Originals because the Gully was was what everybody called me, still calls me um, as far as like Kentucky, like the DC people, LA people, they don't really know me by that, but. Um, 
Gully Originals was like what 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 where's the Gully nickname stand I, from? <laughs> I mean, it was well. First, it was D Gully because DG are my initials. Got you. And it it just came from like like playing in basketball tournaments, and they would just come up with like whatever names. Got and, you. And Gully was just like that's just what stuck with cool. me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- I I did that from 2004. And really until like 2010, 11. So like really, yeah. And that was wow. like my full time thing. I oh, won full time, full time. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So you had a customer base then. Yeah. So I was, I was pretty plugged into um, like the music scene in Kentucky. Okay. And so which how I, was that? Scene? I, now that I say that out loud, <laughs> I <was> like. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, now Bryson Tiller, for sure. uh, yeah, King yeah. Vory, like a lot of those cats are Shout from Kentucky. Vory. Yeah, Vory's so bro. He's incredible. Um, but so like back then, though, there wasn't like nobody, nobody was really like taken off. But there, there was I mean, there was a lot of talent. But my cousin, he was like president of like a record pool, like a DJ crew. Mm. And so. I, it first started with like me painting him shirts and then painting the other DJ shirts. And then the DJs would have a party and like two chains would be there or, or whoever like Jeezy or uh, fat Joe, like all these people at this time. And so I would just do the shirts and just gift those, those people, which that looking back that, that was really just good for marketing, like saying, for sure. like, sure. Yeah, yeah. like if this person, if they end, if they ended up wearing it, it was huge for me. Absolutely. But very rarely did you would get like a picture of them holding it, which was cool, like for people to see. Yeah. But it was it was only impactful if somebody actually wore it, and if they wore it like somewhere big. So and we weren't in that era of like of anybody media. can take a snap and right. social yeah, media. Yeah. And shit, yeah. And so like the first. The first one that actually worked out was uh, the dude, Pop Lock and Drop It, Huey. Huey is that yeah. his name? Yeah, Huey. So I gave Huey a shirt. And I mean, it's just like, because I had, I had made hundreds of these for like artists. And I you you never really expect them to wear it. And then, like you said, it's it's not the social media era. So even if they do wear it, you may never see it. For sure. But this dude wore it on BET Spring Bling, like wow. on the on the thing. And so like he's performing, like oh, doing that wow. that dance or whatever. And you can just see like the shirt and the gully originals because this my signature was huge across the bottom of, of every shirt that I did. That the signature was really like that was like the key focal point for me. Not even, I didn't even really think of it as like branding. That was just the funnest part to me was my signature. And so I think just like being with a couple of the right people, like I would travel with the, with the DJ crew, do stuff for like, I don't know, like all of the artists that were big between Mm -hmm. 2004 and 2010, pretty much. Um, and at that same time, I was in in college for I originally went for business management because I feel like that's just what everybody does initially. Like for sure. just business management 101. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then quickly. I wanted to switch to art mm. and. 
I don't I don't remember if she was my advisor or a teacher at a time, but I had a, I eventually had a teacher named Miss Coppinger and she she was in like I don't even know what the department was, but it was she was in like advertising uh it was like media like this that was a this whole like section on campus mm. and she was in that and then the actual art like painting uh sculpting stuff like that was at the top of the hill and she was like if you want to take the classes at the top of the hill that's cool but that's not where the money's at the money's down here sure and she was in like advertising graphic design stuff like that mm. and i was interested in graphic design um I don't even know why I had a friend who did like a mixtape cover one time that I just thought was like so fire. And I just was like, if, if he, cause he was in my art class in high school and we were kind of like not tag team, but we were like, he would do something and then I would try to one up him and yeah. so on and so on. Mm-hmm. And so he showed me this, this cover where he took, and it, looking back, he really didn't even do like no no uh, no diss to to my dude Sean, but he didn't really even do anything tight. He just took the head off of one of his homies and put it on a Fifty Cent cover. But I hadn't seen the Fifty Cent cover, so I thought that he had like done this whole. It was the it was the Fifty Cent cover where it was like it was almost like a cartoon, and he was like he was kind of sketched on on the cover. Uh, I don't know like what the tape was, but. Anyways, he took dude's head off and put it on 50's body and it it literally blew my mind and I was like, What like what program is this? And it was, it was Photoshop. So yeah, this was right. like two thousand I guess three or four. Um and so that I was like, Well, if if this department is where the money's at, this is where I wanna be and I wanna be a graphic designer. Mm. So I switched from business management to uh advertising. And like I started like picking it up super quick. And <clears throat> since I was plugged in with like the DJ crews and stuff like that, I was doing everybody's mixtape covers. And so that's incredible. So like at 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 the same time, I'm doing mixtape covers and T-shirts for like all of these artists and celebrities and stuff like that. And uh, that led to like I won like a couple awards for like clothing line of the year, like back to back and graphic designer of the year. Oh, wow. Um, so like at this award show, I'm like winning both awards. That's, um, yeah. that's incredible. Yeah, man. Yeah. So that, but that's like, it was, those are the, the SEAs. So the Southern, Southern entertainment awards. This is like a big, a big show. Like, I don't know when it is, but it's like the the whole southeastern region. Like everybody from Miami comes up, really, Kentucky, Atlanta. So like I remember seeing like like Bob. Like he this was when he was like I mean I don't know where he's at now, but this is when he was like on the, like new to the scene and For all sure. of these artists, Gorillaz O. Like everybody from the south pretty much went to the SEAs that mm. you had to because this was. This was the mixtape in hand era where you had to yes. you had yes. to hand off your mixtape. You had to go through the malls handing mixtape out. Right. So that was like a that was those awards were huge. Those were huge deals for me. Like at that time, I mean, still I still have the trophies up at the Virginia House, 
Um, What'd that do for like your confidence, your motivation, just like the way you started seeing it in terms of just the gratification of yeah. not only just like being able to create, but especially that young in your journey, not only to be within the community and the culture in your city, but also be recognized regionally for the work that you were doing. It was, I mean, it was, it was super rewarding, but at the same time, I always, I think I'm just one of those people who always <laughs> either knows I can do more or better, or mm. there's somebody better than me or whatever. And so even when I would win, I would always know that there was somebody like in another city that was, that was be- just this much better than me. So it was, it was, obviously it was, it's a, back then it was kind of like having like the blue check, but like there was no Instagram yet. Gotcha. So this was like having the blue check, yeah. like this verified me to like my peers. But at the same time, I knew that there was like a, a higher level that I could go to. But it was I mean, even still to this day, it's it's always like gratifying when you're, I guess, rewarded or for sure. awarded for like your work. And that, for sure. And to know that people either acknowledge it or respect it or whatever like that's that's always kind of what i mean it's always good we don't always get those accolades now but that's that's something that at that time i mean at that time i was probably on cloud nine for sure thinking that i'm like the best ever and especially at that time period where it's like you're really figuring out what your life and what your path is gonna look like you know what i'm saying and and figuring out what is just a passion pursuit and once somebody can turn into a business and then right. seeing like, oh, damn, I'm penetrating the market here. I'm, I'm starting to win, you know, awards within the community. I'm starting to rock within the hip hop and, you know, music community of the city and it's fruitful. So right. I could see, like, I feel like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like you started seeing the possibilities mm-hmm. of your craft and it's, especially when it gets validated um, it really makes it something where you're like, okay, well, how do I level up and continue to build not only on my skill set but also my reach, right? For sure. And, and 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 how do I, you know, start really treating this as a business when you start when you're able to see a return, right? And I think that that's when that was like a I probably that's like when I was really like molding myself, mm. sure. Um, that's when I was really becoming because like the first few years, like you're you're learning, you're For like sure. every piece that you do, you feel like it's fire. But I at that time when I started winning the awards and stuff like that, that's when I really started like, I don't know, coming into my own, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. And so because you feel like it's fire, but you also know you could do better. Like, I right. feel like especially in the beginning of our crafts, it's like. It's that battle within ourselves of like, okay, I'm really doing it, but I know I'm so much better, but my work, the hours that I put in haven't gotten me there yet. Right. So am I going to just suck it up and do it and just keep creating? Yeah. Or am I going to let the insecurity of knowing that I'm not my best self yet hold me back? Yeah. Well, no. I, I think that it's, it's, it's also just like that 10,000 hour rule. For like, sure. Yeah. Now... Now, having the experience that I have, 
it, I mean, to me, it may have even been 20,000 hours before it, like it really, before I really got to, to where I felt like my, my skill set was like super sharp. But I think that the work, it's, it's funny because like, like even now, like if I look back to the years when I won those awards, the work that I did was, is probably terrible in my eyes now. Like I even, like, you know, you get the Facebook notifications or it's like eight years ago you For posted sure. this and it'll be like a whole photo album of of either painted shirts or graphic designs or whatever and they're all so bad <laughs> but at that time like obviously if I'm winning awards and like these these customers are paying me and stuff like that it's I guess I mean I guess I was doing something right but looking back i'm like man i just like why were they even paying for, like why were they giving me awards for that but <laughs> i don't know i mean i always had like a a pretty good understanding of like where i stand like with mm-hmm. with just about anything if i'm on the basketball court if i'm not the best i know that like i can i can acknowledge that and i can say like this guy is better than me or it was at least better than me that day mm-hmm. and the same with graphic design and t-shirts like it's funny because we, uh, I just got back from DC. We did, uh, it was MLB All-Star and we did like a bunch of events and activations and we played in um, a New Balance stickball game. And so this guy is the host of the stickball game and he like comes up and introduces himself. He's like, yo, I'm, I'm Roe the Realist. Uh, I'm the host today. I just wanted to introduce myself, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, row i'm like where are you from and he he tells me he's like i'm from la but i live in ohio now and he i'm like what's your name again he's like row the realist i'm like did you used to paint shirts and he was like yeah and so like when i was painting shirts he was one of the guys that was like the top like he was one of the top guys oh, wow. and i'm like i'm like i'm i'm gully gully originals and he literally like took off running oh, around, the, around the stickball like little box or whatever <laughs> but it was just super crazy that's that it, crazy that it came like full circle and so like him um it was a dude in new jersey named mizzy or was he no i think he was from philly he was from somewhere like philly jersey, east coast of somewhere. jersey no he wasn't new york but he was philly or jersey um but he was he was super crazy it was like it was like this whole little like crew, well, I mean, we weren't really a crew, but you knew who was who was Absolutely. respected and who yeah, wasn't. Was Did you have a crew in your city? No. So it was, you were just dolo. Well, so I take that back. So Sean, who I mentioned that did the 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 uh, mixtape cover, he was like, uh, he was like, he was my crew that like never really happened. Okay. Like me and me and Sean always wanted to have like our own thing where we were both doing shirts because he was he's what got me doing graphic design and i'm probably what got him painting shirts like Mm -hmm. we were both doing it but it just never really like i don't know we were both we actually ended up becoming roommates and that's when we were like yo we're actually gonna like create this this agency where we're creating mixtape covers like whatever graphic designs like hand painted shirts like everything you need but it, it just never worked out. I think college and then um, like frat life, he he got into the frat life. Mm. And then I was just kind of just doing my own 
like shirts and music and stuff like that. It just never really worked out. But I never there were like a couple people that came after me that did similar things. But I never <laughs> I never had my own crew, whether it was graphic design or anything. It was just it was just kind of one man show the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's crazy. Like after those awards, it must have felt like it really got real. And it's always at these moments. I mean, even though, you know, like, look, I can be way better and all this. But just that instant credibility that you get actually can take people one of two ways. It's like you can either be led by your ego and be like, yo, I made it. We're here. I'm good. Or choose to now we got to start working. Right. Did you feel like any type of shift after that in terms of like where you wanted to take these shirts, the, these, this graphic design, the mixtape covers, but really like a look into the, your future self during that time too because it's college, right, still? Yeah, it's still college. So people are figuring out their careers, who, what they want to be, where they want to go, how they're going to make money. Did you Did that path become clear for you or did you have those talks with yourself of like, all right, um, or was it just organic push all the way through? I mean, everything with everything with my whole journey has pretty much been organic. Mm-hmm. Um, I never, I never really planned on any of this. I didn't, I didn't really know. I don't know. I didn't really have like anybody that came before me to show me that this was even interesting um, a path. Like we don't have. We don't have resources to where, like, I, we didn't even really have, like, art stores in Kentucky. So I would have to, like, order my art supplies. And, you know, that a lot of a lot of stuff with artists is, like, being hands-on. You want to go mm-hmm. in, see the, the different types of paint and stuff like that. But I think that after the awards and stuff like that, it, it more so just shifted naturally because I, I progressed – uh, people still wanted me to continue to do the the hand painted shirts, but I had just I had gotten to a point where I was kind of over that because I I was doing I was doing everybody's shirts mm-hmm. like that's actually how me and her met is through shirts. She wow. <laughs> my girlfriend now uh, for almost ten years, but that's incredible. She was she'll shout out to your shirt hustle. Hey <laughs> hey hello. <laughs> <laughs> but she'll she'll tell you that that whenever so basically long story short she she wrote me saying she wanted a shirt painted wow and I found out like a like just a few years ago that she thought that or that I was rude to her whenever <laughs> she wrote me and so I she was I, she was like you were so rude to me. And I had to go back and look through the Facebook messages to see because I'm like, there's no way I was rude to you. And it was like, she just took it and I guess took that. She Was it just you were terse? Just like, no, she, she basically just, I don't know, she just read something that wasn't there. But it was, she, she would say like she wanted a shirt or something. And I was like, okay, well, like, what do you want on it? Because I, it wasn't to where you just tell me you want a shirt and I would just whip something <laughs> like, and then here's your shirt. Like you had to like, tell me what you wanted. For sure. Um, and so I asked her and she was like, I don't know. And then I was just kind of like, well, like whenever you're ready, like whenever you know what you want, just let me know. And, um, and then we ended up like, like 
keeping in touch. And I actually, I don't think I ever painted a shirt for you, did I? Nope. Oh. So, but with the trans, what's a, with the transition that I was speaking about is because I, I was doing shirts for so many people for so many years, like mm. seven, seven, six, seven years of hand painting shirts. Man. Like is, I mean, that's, that's strenuous. For sure. Hands. And so, and I, there were like, I was in, I was in a college town. So like every weekend, like the dope boys or the athletes or whoever had to have a new shirt. So it would be times where like whole, like, you know, like there would be like your, your street, like record companies. And they would be like, yo, we need a shirt for every member of our crew. And it would be like 20 cats. And so you would be painting like, and they would hit you like Wednesday, winning them all by Saturday. So I would have like 30 shirts a week to do. How long did it usually take you to paint a shirt? It would take a couple hours because the way that I would do them. you would, Per shirt. Yeah. So what I would, what I would do is I would have like, like the, the paint, that's, this is the hard part. It's like you're painting on shirts. So it's, it's just cotton, so the paint can go right through it. So you had to have like a board that went in between the sh- the sides of the shirt. Yeah. And so I would set up like five of of the boards with the shirts, and you would have them clipped because the shirts had to be tight so that you didn't like paint over a wrinkle or something. So I would I would go through, board them up, clip them, and then I would paint like the background, like the base coat, basically because. The first layer of, of paint just it gets soaked up by the cotton. Yeah. So you need that base coat to where you can go on top of it. That way your letters or whatever you're drawing, painting is, is more uh, crisp. So that was that's really what took the longest for Man. me because I wasn't... Like there was another company that did shirts called Muskeen. You, you remember Muskeen? Uh-uh. Nobody ever remembers Muskeen when I asked that. But they were huge, I guess, on the East Coast. Like, really? Like, Bun B was, like, a huge, like, advocate for them. And he would wear, like, he would wear all of their stuff. And, like, it, I mean, it was basically all custom, too. The same the same, uh, same stuff as me. But theirs was more so, like, how Pinky's was, where it was colors to match, like, whatever mm. shoe or whatever. So mine, the difference in mine was, like, it was, you would tell me, exactly what you want and i would come up with the design but it's based on your idea mm-hmm. and so the 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 most lengthy part of it was just the fact that i would have to clip them up wait for that to dry and there's only so much room in my apartment that i for like sure. i can i can only have like five yeah. six shirts going <laughs> at once um but yeah so they would take like a few hours and then i would do like 20 30 a week man um and that that was for <laughs> it's funny like the first the, actually the first shirt started like i was spray painting them not even like airbrushing like actual <laughs> spray paint with a can and i would create these stencils with i mean just with paper i would like cut out whatever and then i would i was spray painting them in my dorm room and so my dorm room was like Ooh. Crazy, like fumy. But, I feel you. But that's, I mean, that's like looking back, like that's those were like the fun, like sure. absolutely experimenting, right. finding yeah, yeah. techniques. Exactly, but yeah. So that eventually that just transitioned out of painting 
not even just because I was just tired of painting, but just because I wanted to do something new. It's evolution. And I wanted to show off like the, the graphic design experience. And that's when I, I got more into, I, I actually, I became cool with some people that worked at, they owned a print shop. And so it just came down to like me being like, okay, I can, like people really just want new shirts that, that match their shoes at that time. So it didn't even, at that point, it wasn't even to where they wanted it to say a specific message anymore. It was just, they just wanted something that wasn't in the stores. And so it got to where I would just kind of come up with my own designs based on like whatever shoes were coming out that weekend. Mm-hmm. And I would just print up however many, it, I mean, it was super small, like 20, 20 shirts or something like that and just sell them for like $30, $40 or whatever. But that was at that time, that's really when like the graphic design side just really took off more than, than the shirts were. Mm. And then the, the graphic design, the mixtapes, those would take, I mean, those would take longer than the, the t-shirts did, but the profit margin was, was much larger on, I mean, there's no, there was no cost. It was just time. Absolutely. Sure. So, I mean, you could, I could charge a hundred, one fifty, whatever for whatever the people needed, put just about an hour or two more into it, but then get 120% more money because yeah. I'm not having to pay for anything. Exactly. So that's when, that's when it shifted out of, it shifted away from fashion for, for a while. I mean, I don't know, a handful of years. Even like when we started premium in 2011, that was that was jewelry for the first like three years. Really? Yeah. And even before that, like so I'm I'm terrible at like remembering my life, but um, before that, I did um, like custom wood and jewelry. So like mm, I had some, that was big yeah, for a minute. Like when Goodwood came out, yes. But that was so that was always the thing is like I was always. <laughs> I was always just as good, but I wasn't, I wasn't the first per I wasn't the pioneer of mm. it. And so I was kind of always in everybody's shadow. Got you. And um, when, when I was painting the shirts, I was in Mesquite's shadow. And I had actually mm. talked to them about moving to New Jersey to work for them, um, but ended up not doing it. And then, uh, then the, the neck, the, the wooden stuff, neck of the woods. That's, that's what it was called. Um, I had some friends that I don't even know why they, oh, they bought a, a laser engraver and they were super weird. Now that I think about it, they were, they were set, they set up shop at like this, like flea market and they would laser engrave like, like tree stumps with like whatever, like I, I guess they would say like, like people would buy it and they would get it made for like their house and you would put it like out, like either on a wall or out front and it would say like established 1880 or yeah. 2010, yeah. whatever the house yeah. was built. But I was like, yo, can y'all, do you think you could like make something like this? And I showed them like the Goodwood stuff and they were like, yeah. So I would, again, kind of the same thing. I would take orders. People would tell me what they wanted. I had the graphic design experience so I could I could put it in Illustrator and give it to the engraver how he needed it and then that was that was a new business mm. and that kind of that's 
that was the new thing more than like the shirts. Mm-hmm. So that's really that's really why like the sh- the t-shirts kind of like got put to the side. Um, I want to ask you in these like transitional phases, and you know, just kind of like elevating making these moves to elevate your craft and just elevate your creative experiences. When you, each time you made that move, was it something where it was like, was there any fear involved? Was there any like acclimation or was it kind of seamless for you during those times to make those transitions, like making a mark and a name? And, you know, it's, you speak about it and I'm listening to you and I feel like it's such an easy, seamless transition for Mm -hmm. you. I want to know like what was, you know, what was kind of going through your mind during those switch periods and and what made it easy or difficult at the time for you to to just, you know, embark on a new path in the same field but be I mean, just grab the bull by the horns and run with it. I mean, that's a good question cuz honestly, I have no clue like what made it so easy. Um cuz it sounded like it was just like there was a level of seamlessness to no, it. No, it was It very wasn't like seamless. a, oh my God, moment, and yeah. then I had to really figure it out. It was just kind of like, okay, let's take the next step. Well, that's, I mean, that's kind of how my life has always been. It's always, I've always looked at it like a ladder, mm. like, and then every, every step is just another step up. So mm. first it was, it was hand painting the shirts with spray paint, and then it was, okay, I'm going to elevate and actually hand paint them with a brush and put some time into it. Um, and then that led into elevating it more into the graphic design. And then that's when the, the neck of the woods came along. And it was, I think it was for one, I think I've always been pretty good at like laying the foundation, like just for me in general. So like people know that usually like if I'm involved, it's there's, if, if they're like a, a supporter of mine, they know that if I'm involved, there's like a, a certain stamp that goes along with that. Mm. So I think that for one, kind of just being plugged in with the right people, I always had like, like my cousin, he was, I mean, I, he's, he's still like probably one of like the biggest tastemakers in Kentucky. Um, as, as bad as like, as far behind as Kentucky is, but he, I mean, I, I won't say I used him as in like a negative connotation, but I definitely used him to my advantage. Like whatever I was into, he Mm. was into. Mm -hmm. And I always had a way to where I could customize it to where like any artist or musician, business, whatever, they always want something with their brand on it. So I would just, I would make him a necklace, like like, I make him a t-shirt. He had, he has, he still has tubs because he had like a new three, four shirts every week because he DJed a couple gigs every, every night. And so he has tubs still to this day that he won't throw away just because it, it's that nostalgia. That was, I mean, that was really like, I would say that was like Kentucky's like golden era. That was like, <clears throat> I don't know. That was just huge for like that. That whole time frame was huge for Kentucky. That's when like uh, Static Major, who had he passed away. Wow. But he was. I mean, he's from Kentucky, so he's incredible. He was yeah. incredible, bro. And so that's when like Lollipop came out, and that put Crazy. 
that put Static Major on like a whole new whole yeah. new level. Even though like his talent was far ex- far exceeded for sure. Lollipop, but he was otherworldly no, in, at sure. that time. But like that's when that's when I was in the middle of this whole like Kentucky movement where before that the only people to make any noise out of Kentucky were, were Nappy Roots. Mm-hmm. Um and so I would I would just be kind of like in the right the right conversations to where I would be like, yo, like if it was somebody big, I would just gift it to them. Like my cost on the necklaces or the t-shirts is super low. So yeah. the, the cost to, of the customer value yeah, retention was, far was super more. low. Like I could just, I could just paint a shirt and I can get shirts for three, $4. So it's nothing. But and then even with the necklaces, like it may cost me $10 to make it. And I would sell them for sixty, seventy-five, eighty, whatever. But that cost is ten dollars, no matter what. So I could give it to to anybody. So I would just give these some of these people pieces, not even from like a social media marketing like uh, influencer thing, because that that really didn't exist yet. Yeah. It was way um, more in the trenches. At I that remember, point. Yeah, yeah, I remember we were on the way to the SEAs when Twitter came out, mm. and I'm like in the car on the way. I had no clue how it even worked. I'm like tweeting dumb stuff, thinking. <laughs> For sure. I feel like every one yeah. of us, anybody out there, yeah. yeah, like thinking. I remember. I this is the one thing that I remember. My first tweet because the SEAs were in Memphis. And so I remember getting to Memphis and tweeting like one of I just tweeted one of my homies. It wasn't like his his at or anything. I just tweeted him thinking that he was going to see it. <laughs> and he probably he probably didn't even have Twitter yet, but um yeah, I mean I, I it was just always seamless because I just always laid a good foundation like for for me personally, like whatever Whatever I was was bringing to the table, I always did it in a unique way, mm. um, and I always, I kind of always have known how to <coughs> to package something to where it's appealing. I mean, I went to school for advertising, so sure. even though, like, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much they taught me or how much of that I already knew. Like, I remember being in the class, like, showing my teacher other ways that you could achieve the same mm. thing. Um, and that's why we, I actually, it's funny because she's, I follow, I follow two of my teachers, um, like through, like one was a high school teacher, one was a college teacher, but I, it, it's, it's making, it's funny to me now because I just, when I was on the way here, I think I had, she followed me a while back, but I didn't know it. And then she liked the picture and then I went to follow her back and she never like, she had it on private. And so she never, I guess she never gets on Instagram, but she was clearly on vacation or something. And all of a sudden, one of her pictures popped up on my timeline when I was on the way here. But whenever I think about my story, she's one of the people that really like, I don't know, she really like, I don't know, she kind of steered me in the direction that I'm I'm in now. Um, That's the teacher that told you that the, the money money's is, down here. Yeah, right. And it's interesting because like what you were t- touching on earlier, it's not like you had a clear cut path. No one was there to show you. Right. All mm-hmm. right. Here's what you're going to do. You make sure it's now from this step, you're going to develop this, create your business structure here, scale it like there was no 
you know, when you're in college learning these things and then going out to get your job and working up the ranks and you see that, you know, point A to Z on what the end goal is, you didn't really have that path like given to you like that. Right. And I think that goes with being a creative for sure where you kind of, and, and going to like your seamless point, part of being a creative is you have to kind of have that uh, ability to evolve and drive yourself to the next level. Like you see it with musicians. That's why all musicians are like, no, on album two, that's my creative one. For album, sure. <laughs> you know, right. and then they want to be experimental and do the shit like, but it's just, I think the evolution of a creative that, creates those seamless things like one point stops another one blends into the next but when you think about that as the years pass and as you get older and money starts becoming more important and how do I actually make a living off this how do I combine that whole thing that people talk about like commerce and art right how do I exist as a creative what does that mean when do kind of those thoughts and things start becoming a little more real for you and evolving like hey this is more than just me as a graphic designer as an artist as uh you know someone who paints um a creative i need to like figure out some type of business here i mean i don't I don't even know if, if I if I have ever did figure that out, mm. to be honest. Like, I feel like even now, like, I'm always like, we need to figure this out. We need Got to, like, I mean, this is, I've had like three or four things that I consider businesses. Um, and some of, it's not like I had exits where I sold them and walked away. It was just like, I just stopped. I stopped doing them. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was because like I, I said, I just transitioned sure. into a, another one. But yeah, even with when with premium, like when you first start, you're like, Yeah, we need to we need to get this LLC set up and we need to get the business account and we need to do this, this and this. But even then, like you still it's you're just like grasping at straws, like you don't sure. you have no clue what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um and I like, and still now, like every every day, there's something new that comes up where we're like, "Yo, we need to we need to get this set up, or we need to meet with this person so they can handle this, and so on and so on." I think that the toughest part about it is everybody that's kind of on my team now is, is really like four of us: me, John, Tyler, and Scooty. None of us are like the business when none of us are the business side mm-hmm. like Tyler and I Tyler and I work on this thing T- John and I work on this part Scooty works on this part and it's all just kind of like everybody has their own their own part but nobody is the business part so like the business part we're always talking to people like yo how do we set this up mm. like point us in the right direction mm-hmm. and it's kind of just on a as a as needed basis like it's never like it's like five four like i'm pretty sure when they first well i don't know since they started you and you could probably talk a little bit more about this because yeah. i don't know about like we didn't i would i didn't go through like a, a entrepreneur like ship class so i don't know if they like if they set you up with like the like the starter kit guideline I mean, you know what like they do in theory Right. But again, it's one of those things where 
a textbook can only teach you so exactly. much. Totally. You know what I'm saying? It's natural that you know there's certain legalities and, and business filings that you need, but like the real gems of it is just going out there, fucking up, failing, learning. and learning through it. You know what I'm saying? Getting screwed over by one person or the other and figuring out how not to do that the next time. You know what I mean? Like Facts. even D and Andres, like one thing that was so great about them is like, look, they wanted to get to magic. They just maxed out credit cards. Right. You know what I'm saying? And then we're and literally we're just like, we'll figure out how to pay for this. Right. You know what I mean? Wanted to start getting into stores. Let's just hop in a in a car and go at the time retail and, and that world. They just go get customers. Right. Do you think that, and I think that it was one, I'm going to make an assumption. And do you think that your one man band ship allowed you to really be able to just kind of withstand blows and just uncertainties along the way and build that confidence within you to where when you got, you know, as team accrued, it just became, and I feel like your team consists of cats that all have lived this like individual journey that it came to a, a point where, like, the meaning of the minds came in and the right. apex happened. And it was just like, damn, we're all very similar. And this can kind of really work. Right. I and, mean, and secondly, was premi- was the, the move into premium the first time that it was really, like, more of a group effort? Right, yeah. So premium was the first time I had ever worked with another person. Um, Tyler was actually a a customer of of neck of the woods so he bought some he bought some pieces for him and his girlfriend at the time and then we just kind of we kind of stayed well so the reason i even knew him was because this is when i was like super obsessed with shoes sneakers um and he we were in like all of these facebook groups and twitter groups and all of this stuff so we I think I may have posted in the group like, hey, this is my new like thing. Like if anybody needs any pieces, because I again, I would I would tailor those those necklaces or whatever to the right audiences. So like if it was a sneakerhead audience, I was doing like sneakers on the necklaces and then they would be wood. But I would paint them to look just like. The, oh, the shoes and so at the time like looking back i was like mm, i probably wouldn't wear that but people were wearing like a jordan 7 sneaker with a jordan 7 sneaker necklace mm. um and so tyler had bought some pieces and then a couple like we stayed in touch and we we met one time and it was for me he had picked up some shoes for me that i couldn't get and that we met, I picked up the shoes, we met, shook hands. That was, that was it. And then I think like a couple weeks later, he hit me and was like, yo, like I want to make gemstone bracelets. Do you have, do you know like where I can get the beads and stuff? Because I was ordering beads from Hong Kong for my, my wooden necklaces. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, I have a place like where I order my beads. We can, we can get beads. Um, I mean, you can get gemstones. And so instead of, instead of me just like passing it off to him, like passing him to connect to the, the beads, I was just like, why don't we like go in together and do it? And so he, I mean, he was cool with that. And, and a part of it too is like, I'm, I'm not naive. Like if somebody presents me a good idea, 
and I feel like I there's a market for me in it, then I'm gonna like push myself into it. Sure. And so that's an incredible insight yeah, to man. have and also like pull the trigger mentality. Because no, I feel like sure. a lot of cats are <clears throat> kind of can get either taken advantage of or even just let opportunities pass by right. just being like, hey, let me just be the nice guy. Right. You're not over here trying to take anything, but you saw an opportunity present itself and said, well, we have mutual scenarios going on. How about I plug in yeah. and see where this takes us. Right. And so, like I said, we had met once for like five minutes. And then a couple of months later, we were starting a business. We didn't, we didn't think we were starting a business. We yeah. Just, you were just collabing for I, the I, product, It yeah. wasn't even really that. It was like, I was such, and still am such like a hustling guy that if I know that I can, even if we were going to put a hundred dollars into it and I could get 500 back, I was down to make that $400 profit. Mm -hmm. And so we got the beads and made a few bracelets. And again, just kind of having like, I guess like a foundation of like people that either, I don't know, either people I just knew how to market it to them or I just had like the right group of people that would support me I have no clue, but I mean, but at that point you had customers and you also had, I'd want to say a, a cult following of just believers, right? I did, but the only thing about it then was you didn't have, like now everything pretty much resides on social media, mm -hmm. but this was still like, I mean, you had Twitter, but I wouldn't like, I wouldn't take the neck of the woods Twitter and convert it to the premium Twitter or For anything sure. like that. So mm -hmm. like, it, I really there wasn't too much of a of a platform for me to like cross promote because I didn't have like anything person. I didn't have like a personal Instagram or anything. But you um, did have the eight years of like boots on the ground. No, well, I did. I did have that, but that only lived on Facebook. So got you. I did have like the the network of Facebook like customers who I could like. Here's my here's my newest endeavor. <laughs> like, um, when it, and then like I don't ever I don't think that anybody ever looked at it like oh here goes Davin with another thing because everything <laughs> everything elevated mm. and so they knew like okay this this one looks even more legit than the last one for so, sure and they were all so different that it wasn't like I was creating a clothing line. And that failing and then creating another clothing line and then coming out with another. So it was, sure, it was sure. always different. Um, but so we made we made the first batch of bracelets and they were they were selling decently. Um, and at the time, this was this was the last I've only had like a couple jobs in my life. And at the time, this was the last this is the last one that I had. We me and her were both working at a at Georgetown Hospital. Mm. in DC and so I just remember like being in the hospital and getting orders like for the bracelets and just remember feeling I remember turning to her and being like see if I was at home like I could be making this same amount and plus some um, because I could pump out more bracelets or whatever which I didn't I didn't quit Georgetown because of that we were only there for the summer anyways but we we didn't expect premium to 
become premium. Mm-hmm. Like at first we didn't even have a brand name. We were just making bracelets. Sure. And people were buying them just as like bracelets with no brand name. And then eventually Tyler and I were like, well, what are we going to call this? <laughs> and so we tossed around, we tossed around ideas for, for the longest time. And, um, Tyler, it was Tyler's idea. He said premium. And I was like, like I can, I can rock with that. Like, let's, let's go with that. And so the bracelets just like really took off. And I think that I don't really know for one, I don't really know of anybody at the time that was doing, I mean, it was, they were just gemstone bracelets, but I guess the way that we presented them, like the, the details that we've always like, we've always found a way to like elevate whatever it is just enough to like, to make it appear to be just like a higher level of taste, mm-hmm. like an a elevated aesthetic. So, um, the bracelets took off and then we flipped, we put $300 in like collectively between, it was actually three of us. I don't know the other guy's name. Um, but after like the first couple drops, we just like gave him his money back. And when we were like, like, we're just going to do with this. Cause he, I forget, I don't, it was Tyler's friend. I don't really remember what happened with that dude, but we're so fast forward. Like we're making bracelets a whole year goes by. I have this business partner that I've only spent five minutes with. Ooh, that's wild. Picking up t- uh, tennis shoes. So, and are you doing this full time right now? Yeah, crazy. So, I, I mean, I I worked at Georgetown for like like a couple months, and then um, we moved to Hampton, Virginia. She was at school at Old Dominion, which was in uh, Norfolk, and so. We were down there. I was doing premium full time. Tyler was doing premium full time, but he was also working like 10 hours a week at Foot Locker just so he could keep his discount. <laughs> and um, we did that. I mean, we did bracelets like bracelets. We flipped $300 into probably like 500 and then 500 into a thousand. And then we Crazy. just kept flipping it. And then eventually, like we were paying my bills with it paying his bills with it and then it just i think that was it was just like the perfect time for us like there were there were a couple brands that were doing bracelets but they were like they were different and they were more expensive and ours were just like a little bit more i won't say more unique but they were just different enough to where it wasn't like we were competing so Mm -hmm. we were kind of like the only people I I mean, the only people that I know of that were doing them like that. And so it just kind of took off. And then bracelets led into like, like we were creating custom clasps for the bracelets. Like we found a jeweler in Florida and he started doing like a lot of our molds and stuff like that. So we were creating molds for the clasp so you can connect the bracelet in a cool way. And then that led into like, like creating custom links. Like we did like a Gucci link bracelet and all of that stuff. But this is with like, like certified jeweler. So our pieces were, were you could tell that it wasn't us just going to Michael's. Yeah. So I think just to speak on like our, our taste level, we just always knew how to elevate it. And that led into 
um, the molds led into like a Jesus piece. We did a Jesus piece in, I don't even know, I guess like 2012 or 13 maybe. Um, and then that led into like an angel and a micro Jesus piece and like all of these necklaces. And then eventually, eventually, oh, so let me rewind before I miss this. So Tyler and I had had never met except for that five minute exchange of the shoes. <laughs> yeah. And then a year had gone by before we met. We met in Vegas at Magic. And so I didn't even know really what this dude looked like. And That's so wild, we, bro. we went to Vegas. We went to Magic because you had to at that time. Absolutely. And um, that was my first time meeting, like really hanging out with him. Um, and then... I've, that's when we started really laying like the the real foundation. Like mm-hmm. the foundation I was laying was more like centered around the southern, southern, uh, east eastern southern like area. But obviously, being in Vegas, you meet people from L.A., like San Francisco, Colorado, like we're everywhere out here. So we started really laying the foundation, and then. I think 2013 is when we wanted, I was always like playing around with like clothing still just because obviously I had 10 years of like painting shirts and graphic design t-shirts and stuff like that under my belt. So I always wanted to like get back into it, but I didn't think, I didn't know how the customer would accept it. I wasn't for sure if the customer only wanted like jewelry from mm. us or if they would if they would like clothing because we had done like a couple like like entry level like t-shirts that brands always do like to just, sure. just to promote the brand name like and logo they, tees yeah and they they did okay but they weren't like anything that was like oh yeah we got a market for fashion and so um I don't know what year this was, but I guess it, it had to be like 2013, but I mocked up a t-shirt because this is when like Medusa was everywhere. Mm, like Crooks and Castles. Yeah, the Crooks and Castles, Versace, the Migo yeah. song. Um, I want to say it was around then. And so we were just kind of like, all right, like Medusa's everywhere. Let's do something anti like Medusa. Like what's, What's anti-Medusa and basically like the the beheading of Medusa where mm. Perseus cut Medusa's head off, which is a very gruesome. <laughs> but, so we did, I mocked up a t-shirt that was basically the depiction of Perseus beheading Medusa. And at the, we had Instagram at this point in the story. So I posted it on Instagram and everybody like went crazy for it. And so Tyler hits me instantly. He's like, yo, like I didn't, I did not have a clue that, that people would like this, which we still didn't know if they would buy it, Sure, but they at least liked the picture. So I was like, well, let's just, I mean, let's just see, like I've been wanting to get back into fashion anyways, let's just try it out. And so I knew some people that worked at Kith in New York and they, they put me in touch with uh, with Ronnie Feig's manufacturer, which is very rare that that you could ever get put in touch with a manufacturer like that. Absolutely. And so um, 
I started going to New York, meeting with him and sampling this T-shirt. And we ended up putting it out as full cut and sew T-shirt made in New York. And we we sold it at like 120. It was, I mean, it was crazy gaudy. Like it was a sublimated T-shirt. Those were huge at the time. Um, It had like leather uh, labels inside. Like everything was like. Oh, wow. I was like, yeah, it was like over the top. (laughs) So we sold it at 120. I mean, we probably sold like. 20 of them initially we made 100 i think we probably sold like 20 of them maybe 30 and then eventually we sold all of them like after like sales and stuff like that but we at least saw that okay like we sold we sold through these shirts and i mean at their at the least expensive they were probably still like 40 50 dollars so we at least saw that we had some type of market we just had to figure out what it was um, can I ask you go ahead going back to this time just like aside from the business growing and developing and and just becoming more popular more successful what about you as like a person through all this and like your transition from kind of where you were in college creating product to working some jobs and doing art on the side to create like all this now you're doing this full time and it's actually working I mean, emotionally and mentally, that, that that's a really dope wave to be on. Where like take us through that just as a on the human level of that and on the emotional level of like what, being a part of something where I mean, it's powerful to say that you paid your bills from this. Right. Sure. Like for any creative to like that's the make that's the made it moment. Right. Like when you could pay your bills and yeah. you live your lifestyle, basic needs. By doing what you love that you created, that's a huge monumental moment. I mean, I'm sure, you know, it was a mixture of like riding the wave and not getting caught up in the emotions. But take us through that, like that, um, that wave, man. Yeah, I mean, really, like from 2004 until now, like me being an entrepreneur, I've been one full time pretty much since then. So when I was painting shirts, I was doing that full time. Mm. And then the only job, so I I had a job in college, but it was, I was still painting shirts with the job. I worked at a, like a community center in the projects and I taught basically a hand painting t-shirt class mm. to these kids. Um, and it was like a, it was like a program that they did for like three months or something like that. And then the teachers would get like $1,500 after the three months. And so when they, when I'm 20, 21, whatever, all I hear is $1,500. I don't even think about three months. Like $1,500 for three months is like, really, we got shafted. But, um, so like my, I've always been full time, like Mm. entrepreneur. Uh, and that, that's just kind of always like just been second nature to me for some reason. I think that if, I I don't know if it was my mom being a hairstylist and like having her own thing because you know they a lot of hairstylists they don't necessarily get like a a check or anything like that. Sure. It's like no, it's they're they're renting their their booth and then they're getting their their money from their clients. So um, I think that her kind of like having her own schedule, like making her own schedule, like she would kind of 
tailor it around my basketball practices and games and stuff like that. And I, I, I don't know if maybe that mixed with my uncle, my mom's brother, he has, he still has his own company called GMP auto. And it, they, it's like, a they work on like alternators and stuff like that, batteries and, and stuff like that for cars. And so I had a, a slight sense of entrepreneurship in my family. And I, I'm, I don't, I don't know because I don't really, obviously you don't know the answers of like what pushes you where people can probably say like, Oh yeah. I, I mean, I wanted to do this because of this and this, but I, I didn't like look at them and think like, Oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. I think, I don't know. I just like, I guess maybe it was instilled in me somehow. Well, it goes from also like there there's making money and then there's driving a business, right? Right. Like there's creating product to, you know, make some cash, pay your bills. But then there's like what you said, going from 100 to 300, 300 to five. No, for five sure. to and then you're like, we got more products, scaling, scaling, scaling. That's a whole different experience. No, for sure. That's I mean, also a beautiful thing that you have paying customers. Like, I feel like that's the foundational crazy. element of entrepreneurship is yeah. get your first customer, right? They always tell you that. But then you had your product and you had paying customers. So and, it was the, like, and the brand, yeah. you know, now something that's kind of like bigger than just you, right? Yeah, we... It's super crazy to look back to even think like, because we put out some some pieces that are like, I mean, we put out like $1,200 jackets and to think that like people have bought those crazy. Um, and then $100 t-shirts and people have bought those. And like, that's like when you actually take time to reflect on that, that's probably like the the most rewarding part of the whole thing mm. is the fact that not only did they like the design, but they liked it enough to buy it, like regardless of what price tag you put on it. Mm. For sure. Um, and I think that it's it's one of those things where you don't really you don't really recognize <laughs> the fact that you're doing something you love and it's paying your bills until somebody brings it up. Mm. And I we had we had a one year anniversary party at Diet. Um, uh, I guess like it was around the first of May because that's Diet's one year anniversary, and so we had like a lot of people who are are pretty pretty influential in fashion that came to to this event, and we had we had a line down the street and a, around the corner like people waiting to get in. And then getting in, getting T-shirts and like asking all of us to sign the T-shirts and stuff like that. And so it was almost like it, it kind of made it gave you like a sense of like being a rock star for like a small, a small second. For sure. Um, but then like when we're when we're in the middle of it, it just feels normal because I don't know. It just feels like when you're doing what you're supposed to do, it, it, that's it feels natural. But when I didn't think about it until like a couple of people came up to me uh, afterward, like Brick, Brick Owens, who's like somebody that he's like, I know he, he's just, I mean, he's a super cool guy, but he's like really, really known in the fashion industry for like pushing boundaries, doing what he wants, but somebody whose like opinion I, I really respect. Mm -hmm. And he came up to us outside and he was like, man, how does this feel? Like, this is crazy. 
And I was like, man, to be honest, like I, I didn't even think about it. Like it just felt natural until somebody pointed it out that it wasn't mm-hmm. like it's not that common that like it's not normal. It's not normal that we make clothes and like athletes text us like, hey, like hold this for me or like, yo, like I want to wear this to the ESPYs tonight. Like, what do you have? Blah 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 blah. And it's it's never like it's never something that you really take time to digest until somebody throws it in your face. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, like you asked about how did it feel paying the bills and stuff like that from being an entrepreneur. I, now that I think about it, it feels amazing. Um, but in the middle of it, I'm really mm-hmm. not even thinking about it just because I'm just, I'm just feel like I'm doing my <clears throat> job. So it probably feels like, like this guy who works at a bank or this For guy sure. who works at a, a gas station or whatever. But Well, I think it's interesting that you say that, honestly, that perspective, because, you know, <laughs> there's so many ways people measure success, right? right. Mm. I th- I, and I brought that up because that's just such a common way. Like, yo, if I could pay my bills by doing what I love, I'm like, that's just the standard. Absolutely. Like, you made it. Yeah. But from what you're saying, like, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking like, you know what? You're truly just doing what you love and that's more than enough no for like sure you don't need actually the bills being paid and i mean those things come those are like bonuses along the way but it sounds like just from the perspective of like if you're doing something that you're meant to be doing and, and that natural feeling that's actually that's the payment that's the for payment sure. right just feeling natural like that actually kind of just hit me of like how often do we feel, do we get that the experience of feeling that natural thing of this is just what I'm going to be doing? It's not something that's hyper glorified yeah. or something that's like measured by massive amounts of money and acknowledgement. It's just that feeling. Right. I mean, there's... I think it probably depends on like the person too. Like sure, how, sure. Like how I said about being able to see things from a lot of different um, perspectives. I, I feel like that I'm like, if I take a step back and look at me as a person, I'm a pretty, like, I'm a pretty humble guy. Not even, not humble in sense of like bragging, not, not bragging or whatever, but Mm. humble in the sense of like, I don't, I don't need a lot of this stuff to, to uh, consider myself successful. Like, me getting out of Madisonville is successful. Mm-hmm. Um, me like having a place in LA and Virginia, that's successful to me. Like now do I want to pay for two places? No, but, <laughs> like, um, but are you able to, right? Am I able to, because of like the hard work? Yeah. And that's, that's, I think that that's kind of like the reward. Like mm. when I sat back and I looked at what, I was spending traveling out here every two, three weeks. Um, I'm like, man, I could probably just get my own place out there and not be paying any more than I am now. So um, like having that is like, that's payment for me. Like being Mm -hmm. able to be out here, be closer to work, um, be in like a city that I love. Like that's, that's like my success Mm -hmm. right now. And then obviously like six months from now, there'll be a, another, another step up the ladder where there's like another level of success that, that I want to reach. Um, 
But I think that I'm just one of those people who, and I think all of us too, like me, John, Scooty, Tyler, like all of us come from like very different backgrounds, but very similar like upbringing. Mm. So all of us are really like, like whenever, if we get a, a check, we're not running out and buying a Rolex with it, or we're not going out and buying a new car with it or whatever. Um, we're like much more like grounded than that. And I think that that's part of like why we measure success the way we do is just mm -hmm. because of the way we were brought up. And I don't know. I just, we just, we're really like, I think because our, our journey has been like as long and, and, as a, such of a process as it is that we just come, we come into the game with like a different, a different outlook than a lot of people. Like a lot of people get start brands now, get hot, get 500,000 a year from like sales or a million a year in sales or whatever, go out and do like crazy stuff with their money. And then you never really see that brand anymore. Um, we're, we're one of the people or we're one of the brands who like, we're really trying to build something like, long term whether it's like long term in the sense of a brand or just long term in the sense of our like our career in general recycling right into the process right and just like just how everything else has been like a natural progression <clears throat> like who knows like where we'll go like from here so it will probably like we or me like whatever whatever the case may be will progress into like some other some other form of something so um, we just, we're just here to like ride the wave and, and be smart and, and try to like continue to ride the wave and not just ride the wave and fall off and sure. be, For sure. be non-existent. So how did, how did the transition from premium to diet happen? Um, so John and I became friends like 2013 around the, the same time that premium brought Scooty into, to premium. And so John and I just became friends naturally, just like everything I have said is, is really been organic. My friendships are organic, my, the business partners are organic and so on and so on. But John was, uh, John was, a, we had like a mutual friend and I, the mutual friend posted about premium on Instagram and John followed us, I followed John and I'm I'm saying us because premium, premium's Instagram was my personal Instagram. Like there weren't, gotcha. I didn't have a personal one until like a year and a half ago, two Got years it. ago. And so I say me because that was me like running For sure. the page. Mm -hmm. And so John followed me, I followed him and we just became, I mean, we just became like Instagram homies at first. I would send him some stuff. He would buy some stuff. He would, he would post it. And it was just, it was just kind of like, whatever and then went to vegas and then john actually i was in vegas for new year's and john was there with his uh guy he worked with at the time and we were trying to link up but we missed each other and that was like the first time we like we tried to link up and couldn't and then we were in vegas again like the next february or august for for liberty 
and John was there and he was like, yo, let's grab a drink. So we, we went down to the bar at the Cosmo, which is, it's funny. He just texted me. He said that he's, he's in Vegas now. He's at the bar <laughs> that, at the that, Cosmo. We would, that, that we would always chill at. But, um, that's crazy. But he, uh, we met up there, had a couple drinks and then he, he left and went out to the club. Like it was just, that's just, we were just like, cool. We'll just get a drink, whatever. And we just kept like running into each other in these cities. And um, he was working with uh, a football player at the time, managing like his endorsements and stuff. So John, John was getting like a lot of money. And I felt like one of the things that kind of like strengthened our friendship early on was the fact that I didn't, he had like a lot of people that may or may not have been around him like for the money and like the celebrity status and stuff like that. Yeah. And I didn't, I wasn't really like fascinated by any of that. I didn't care to, to be around any of that or whatever. And I wasn't like around him to, to mooch off him or anything. Yeah. So I think that I was one of the the people who like really kept it like completely 100 with him because and you guys seem to have very you know being being fortunate enough to know both of you even from a distance right like this this really like has strengthened my appreciation for your character and who you are right um but i do also see seeing it from afar you guys do have very similar uh demeanor and character and just the way y'all move is right. very similar like yeah. very in tune with oneself moving and shaking but very like grounded within the solace of y'all's own being as opposed to like looking for the clout and the hype like i see both of y'all moving as such fluid individual beings that happen to have come together and really like rock in that same category it's like almost like Voltron's parts just like together. <laughs> right. You feel me? Yeah, I mean, we we definitely have a lot of the same. We have a lot of the same characteristics, and then there's a lot where it's like he's like the far end of the spectrum, and I'm the complete other end of the spectrum, mm. and then we balance each other out for sure. Um, but I think that just being grounded just goes back to like the way my mom raised me, and the way his his mother and father raised him, both both similar like like neither neither one of our families had a lot of money growing up so he was in a small place sharing it with his mom dad and his sister i mean i was in a, a trailer sharing it with just me and my mom um i think that we just both have like we just both had like a a good family that kind of just raised us the right way. Absolutely. Um, and we both, we just both like carry that on now. Like we don't, John's not, uh, despite what a lot, a lot of people have, when he first like hit the scene, a lot of people thought that he was just out here doing stuff for likes on Instagram and stuff like that. But I mean, he was just, John is just like, John's a creator that doesn't always know how to get his ideas out and mm. he's he's one of the one of those people that his his mind is going so crazy with so many different ideas that it's almost it's almost to the point where like his his mind is like constipated because there's so many things that just can't come out Got at once. You. um straight bottleneck of yeah. ideas hitting each other. <laughs> exactly so he's just he's somebody that was like he was trying to get a lot of his ideas out and people were 
mistaking that as him trying to like like gain clout or like uh just do stuff for the for the likes and stuff like that but it's really just John's just John's just creative and he's just trying to look trying for to release outlet. it yeah. yeah he's trying to release it and I think that him and I like obviously he's six five and I'm six one so he's like the big the big guy but I'm like the big, big brother fella. I'm the big brother to him so but I think because like to get back to the, like the actual relationship is it's because one thing about me is that I'm like I'm honest I'm brutally honest mm. like if I it's it's really hard for me to hold my tongue for sure and if I like if I have a question I'm going to ask it Absolutely. And it may not even know that it may hurt your feelings or whatever. The truth hurts, but right. it's necessary. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's one of my like gifts and curses is that For I'm sure. I'm brutally honest. And so I think that the one thing that really strengthened our relationship early on was the fact that I would tell him like, yo, like, I don't think this person is a good person to, for you to hang out with. And even now, like we're both new to L.A. and there's a lot of people that are trying to hang out with him. This and now I'm like, look, like. Before I got out here, I'm like, look, I'll be out there in two weeks. Just like lay low until I get <laughs> yo, there. You like, yo, kick it at the crib. Right. And it's not Don't even leave your bedroom. It's not not on a, a thing where I feel like I have to protect him. I just know that he he I'm one of the few people that he actually listens to. For sure. Like if he's if something's happening and he needs to be calmed down, I'm probably one of the few that can actually like talk him off the ledge. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's what real friendship is right right? is that you know i've been fortunate and i know exactly what you mean because it is a gift and a curse to just be honest right right but the beauty about finding yourself and your voice through that and also how to like be malleable with it right right? because you're always going to give the honesty but you also need to know how to say it. Yeah, it's and like with some compassion. With exactly, yeah. you know. But at the same time, it's like I truly believe friendship is when we're able to really vocalize the truth and have the best intention for right. one another. Absolutely. Right? We may be wrong, but like if we're freely able to be vulnerable, we're able to be honest, that's what friendship is. Like I've kind of, you know, seen through friends and just in our own lives, there's so many times where I speak to people and I don't, I may not even know them that well, but if you're asking from my perspective, I'm going to give it to you. Right. Mm-hmm. Just up and down. I don't right. even give a fuck who you are, whether you're up here, down here. If we're having an engaged conversation and I, I see a perspective because I've either lived it or seen it or just have an idea, I'm going to give it to you. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And so many times I come across a point where it's like a do, I'm telling somebody something that's just so basic. Like in it, whether it's like you're you're going after music as a craft or like wanting to know how this industry operates, all that, and I just give an honest answer, and their minds blown. One of the biggest things that I always think of, and I even vocalize this, I'm like, bro, these are some things your best friends should be telling right, you, yeah, exactly. and this is new to you. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? This is brand new to you, and like, where, where, where are your homies at? Mm-hmm. Right. Where are the people that's been looking up for you? Like, yo, bro, like, I, thank you so much for. And I'm just like, I, all love, but at the same time, in my head, it's just like, yo, where are your closest homies at? Exactly. 
Where are the ones in your corner that should have been telling you this five years ago? Yeah. Yep. I mean, but to have that in in somebody's life and also to be that person is, I feel like it's truly necessary to be able to, you know, connect with somebody on just a human level. That's where I think, especially in this digital age, also is like we get caught up in this like, how would they see me? Right. And, and how sure. how am I coming off? And is my hype cool enough? When in reality, I feel like we have such an overload of all that shit. Where it's just like we as people are looking for. Just a human being. Uh, the realness. The realness. You know what I'm saying? 100%, man. So, really, the friendship, the friendship, the friendship was the transition um, in, from premium into diet. Got we it. Getting back to, like, John having ideas. I had ideas that didn't make sense for premium. And John approached me and was like, I want to do clothing I want you to be a part of it. Do you want to, he's like, do you want me to do it as John Geiger? And then you just, you help me with it, like in the background or like, do you want to do something together? And I was like, well, what, like, what do you want to do? Like, do you want to do it under your namesake or do you want to do it like under a brand? I'm like, I don't, I don't really see myself being like a face of John Geiger code because that's, I mean, that's your name. But like, if you want to do something like as a brand, I was like, let's, let's do that. And he wanted, he was really the, the one person, well, not the one, there were a lot of people, but he was kind of the one that got through to me on how important it was for me to create my own Instagram. Mm. Um, and that was because when we, when we started premium, that was an age where I'm saying age, like it's that far ago, but seven years ago it was, it was, totally different game Crazy. like you didn't you didn't really see like the designers that that big like the designers weren't really the the star of the show it was just sure. the brand but now it's like kim everybody knows kim jones everybody knows virgil and everybody Absolutely. knows uh chris stamped and everybody knows john elliott and all For of sure. it, so on and so on and so when we had started it it wasn't like that mm-hmm. and then we obviously noticed the transition in the industry. So that's when he was like, look, you need to, you need to start your personal page. And then I want to start a brand with you and I want you to be a face of it with me. So it, it's mm. both of our brands so that we're, we're both um, building both of our personal brands. Mm. Um, and so that was like, that was really the initial like idea. And then Diet Starts Monday, the name was his his idea. He he had actually written that on a shoe, um, just like a like an Air Force One that he was wearing at the time. And I I always thought that that saying was like I mean, obviously he didn't create the saying, but yeah. that's just something that resonated for sure with, with not only me but everybody. And so sure. when he said it, he's like, Why don't we call it Diet Starts Monday? I'm like, let's do it. Sold. And so that was like November of, of 2016 the the hard part was me figuring out since it was going to be me and John the hard part was figuring out like for one how do I tell Tyler this who's been my business partner with premium since 2011 and how do I tell Scooty who's been a part of premium since 2013 that I'm going off not even going off but I'm starting a brand with with John and it's just us and so that was like 
that was, I mean, that was like a tough conversation to have with both of them. Um, but both of them were like cool with it. Because what was going through your head? Like we yeah. all had this, but I wanted to like, I wanted to be vocalized a little bit. Like what was going through your head before you were having these conversations? And what, what was like really running through your mind as to how you were going to even have this? At first it was, it was me talking with Kim and then getting her insight um, because as, as much as the I Queen's can, insight is necessary. Of course, Very. of course. But as much as I can see things from other perspectives, when it's focused directly on me, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard for me to pull myself out to for see sure. it. Yes, for everybody. And yeah. so I was asking her, like, what do you think? And she was like, well, I mean, I think that it's important for you to, to be able to like, continue to elevate like and build your your personal brand as well so if this is something that's that's going to help you do that i think you should do it and plus at the same at the time it was the ideas that we had for diet were so far from what i was doing for premium Mm -hmm. and so i was really just trying to wrap my head around like how do i how do i tell Tyler and Scooty that I'm I'm doing this but still give premium the attention that it needs to where like they're not feeling like abandoned abandoned that I'm dropping the ball because I'm putting all my energy into diet sure and so I mean I talked to Tyler about it first obviously Tyler was like my like 50-50 partner from day 1 so I talked to him first and Tyler was cool with it um and I think that I think that one of the things that made the the transition easy was the fact that they both knew that even if it was John and my brand um, and they weren't a part of it, that there were going to be things that we would use them for. Like Tyler's, Tyler's been essentially like my, uh, I don't know. Like, I mean, he's just been my partner, like since day one. So like any decision that I've made, he's been a part of pretty much. So I would, I was just like, look, like John and I are going to start this. Um, I'm still going to come to you for X, Y, and Z. Like you'll still be like used as needed, but like, this is going to be our thing. And then the same thing with Scooty told Scooty the same thing. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, because everybody's everybody's like tool set, everybody's tool belt in our team is different. Absolutely. Like, like I design, I do this, I do that. John does this, he does that. Scooty does this. Tyler does this, he does that. Blah blah blah. So it complements each other well, right? They don't they don't overlap, <laughs> um, and so they both knew that like they would still they would still be a part of the team. Um, and it it was it ended, ended up being a lot smoother than I thought it would, mm-hmm. and so then it's jo- very liberating being able to just be honest. No, with for one sure, another. and and that's like and credit to them too of being cool with it. No, and yeah, not that, like threatening and because right. at the end of the, the day, bro, it's like when you have friends and business partners, yeah. we natu- if we naturally want the best for one another, these are life decisions that happen. 
But when it's spoken openly, I feel like so many people get caught up in the fear of what people would say as opposed to the freedom of actually saying this shit. Right. Well, and that was the thing. I wasn't thinking like, man, it'll feel it'll feel good to be to get this out in the open because I knew that John and I were talking about it for months, for, for sure. weeks before. And John and I had we had spoken about doing stuff together for years. It was just always like it was just kind of like it was never really taken that serious because he was developing John Geiger Co. I was I was running premium um, and we just didn't really have the time. But so eventually 20, 2016, like December, I flew down there and we like planned out the whole collection, like how we were going to release it. And we decided that we were going to um we were going to go to Vegas. We weren't going to do the trade show, but we were going to get a suite mm. at the Cosmo and basically launch the brand there, like a, a oh, private, dope. like an invite-only party. And so we booked, uh, I don't even know what this suite was. There's like a little two-story suite um, with like a jacuzzi or something, like this little patio outside. So, I mean, it was super, super fire, but... We launched Diet there in February 2017. But even before launching anything, we had signed the contract with 5-4 in January 2017. So wow. we had, before we had even launched a product or anything, we had signed the contract with D and Andres for like a late, a late 2017 release. Um, and that ended up like we ended up pushing it back to February of 2018. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so like before even launching anything, we had the the collab with Five Four on the table. Then we we did the showing at the Cosmo. That was a success. And then while we were at while we were in Vegas, we went to dinner. Uh, me, John, Scooty, Tyler. And um, Scooty was like, because Scooty's like a little bit about his his background. He comes from like throwing like some of the crazy parties in D.C. and but not not so much from like a promoter standpoint, like an actual like creator, like Mm. coming up with cool events that like like grilled cheese social, which they actually have out here in L.A., August 4th, which if you're listening to this, you'll miss it, but you guys, you guys can come. Um, I would love that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's at, I think it's at lock and key Saturday, Dope. August 4th. I'll text you the, the info, but Dope. so nice. Scooty's Scooty comes from like getting, he's the vibe curator. Yeah. He's definitely a vibe curator. Uh, he's all, he's, he's one of the people in DC who kind of made parties, actual parties where mm. like you came to like actual destinations where you came like like the party you were telling me you were going to the other night where it's like they actually go and party and it's yeah. not like a dress code and people are just going to dance and have fun or whatever at this time when when scooty and rock creek social club like came out everywhere was like bottle service it was like you had to dress up a certain way sure. they were playing this type of music so on and so on rock creek's parties were like 
There was no dress code. Like the DJs were the best DJs in the city that would actually have it a party. And so that's where Scooty's like most recent background. Obviously his his story goes back, but whenever we were in Vegas, Scooty was like, yo, this uh this space on 14th Street in DC, the it was a barbecue place beforehand, but the owners approach Scooty like yo do you want to activate this with whatever you want to do like a Rock Creek party or whatever and me and Scooty had I had told him about an idea I had for the launch of diet where I wanted to to partner with um, some friends of ours who had an ice cream company and I wanted to do like a, a custom bowl it was a, it would be a huge bowl but it would be a diet starts Monday bowl and it would have ice cream but it would be like just over the top, like 2000 calorie, like Sunday. And that was kind of like the initial, the early stages of diet was like, it's, it's anti-diet. It's not, it's nothing about like working out. It's just about like not putting things off. But Mm -hmm. so the, the 2000 calories was just to show you like that. It's actually not like a, it's not about health. It's not about working out. It's just like, if you're going to do it, make that choice and enjoy it. And so it, um, so Scooty had, he had heard of, well, I had told him about this idea. So he was like, what if we, what if we launched diet in this space as like a pop-up? She, he was like, they're going to give it to us for three months. Um, and we, we got to cut, we got to cover X, Y, and Z, but like we could do, we could do this, this, and this. And so we're like, man, that actually sounds fire. Like, cause it was going to be. The idea was to be a retail restaurant and bar. Mm. So it would be our, we would have our retail section. We would have a kitchen with a chef and then we would have a full bar. And back to like Scooty, he's, his, some of his experience is in like working with liquor sponsors and liquor companies and stuff like that. So luckily he already had these relationships to where we knew how to get the liquor permits and we knew how we could actually sell the liquor and what we needed to do to showcase liquor, certain brands to where we could get compensated from them Mm. and so on and so on. So we didn't, we didn't really have to come out of pocket too much to do this activation. And so this was February. We decided to do it. Yeah. This is like a month into having a brand. Um, we just we just launched we just showed in Vegas we hadn't launched a product yet, um, but the plan was to to do the showing in Vegas, sell to retailers, and we would we would ship like. We wanted to we wanted to hurry up and get to market because we had put so much money into it and we wanted to get money back. So we when we showed in February we were telling buyers that we would ship like in two months. So they were placing orders and our our aesthetic at that time was like really like driven towards like Max Fields, like 424 on Fairfax, Patron of the New, like those type of stores, mm. like really not cheap. Upper echelon. Yeah. yeah. Like $400 hoodies, yeah. $300 pants and stuff like that. So whenever we decided to open the space, we just knew that like, where we were at is like, is a lot of foot traffic. And so we knew that while there would be a lot of foot traffic, DC fashion 
isn't ready for like four hundred dollars. Sure. The Colette drop as all far all as yeah. far as like sustaining <clears throat> a store. Sure. <clears throat> so and also knowing the like just the the region and the community, you know what right? I'm saying? It's like so we when we decided to open, we were going to open in May, and we kind of like went back to the drawing board with the with the clothing because we're like we need to scale back some of these prices because we can't we can't survive off of $180 t-shirts in here like it, for sure we got to like be a little more practical about the walk-in customers mm-hmm. so we we dropped we dropped the price point down but kind of like <clears throat> kept the kept the vibe the same mm-hmm. but the only thing that changed was now we had we actually had a restaurant and a location and stuff like that so a lot of our initial like focus was was the branding was built around the actual the restaurant so mm-hmm. we we kind of i developed a like a t-shirt that was like an old diner t-shirt mm. i mean i'm i'm big on really well a lot of people are big on vintage clothing um especially right now but i'm i'm really fascinated with like kind of reworking old inspiration to like fit diet and since we had this space like the diner was perfect because i could just i could put the address i could put the phone number all of the stuff and put an old like vintage inspired diner logo in it and that was like that was our first signature piece mm-hmm. so we did that and we did a, a few other pieces with it but Instead of coming out with four hundred dollar hoodies, now we're doing like sixty five dollar t shirts. Mm-hmm. We warm the customer up that way, and so now, a year later, we're still kind of elevating back up to like that initial idea that we first had, where it was. Sure. It's not. It still won't be like four hundred dollar hoodies, but it's it's elevated from where it initially was. But absolutely, we don't want to. You don't want to drop a sixty five dollar t shirt and then the next week drop a four hundred dollar no, hoodie. Can't do that, no. So it's got I mean, a customer base has to grow with the brand, right? right? Exactly. Yeah. So and that's <clears throat> having the space allowed us to to kind of take baby steps mm. with that. Um, and so now it was supposed to be it was supposed to be a three month pop up, and it's it's been open. A year and That's two months. Crazy. Incredible. Yeah. So I mean it's been it's it's super tough. Like the restaurant business is brutal. Yeah, it's super brutal. But I I meet a lot of people who are in it and they tell me that like if you if you've been around for fourteen months, like that's successful. Like yes. a lot of people open two years a, yeah, is a yeah. A lot of people open restaurants and close in six months because of whatever, but yeah, it's been tough, but it's been it's been educating. Like For sure. it's, we've learned so much from it that it's I mean can't replace like what like you mentioned earlier, like there's certain things that you get taught in school, but until you go through that real world experience, yeah. like you don't you I don't. feel like school gives you the framework and, you know, a kind of roadmap. Right. Right. But once you actually get on the road, you realize how different it is from the map. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's it's a beautiful thing to just run and gun in it. And also just, you know, life and, and, and being able to make decisions. Like as you go through it, you start becoming far more uh, decisive with your decisions when you know 
you know, when you know what the what the path has presented itself. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, who's to say that a couple years down the line, a restaurant opportunity comes about, and you're just like, look, that business was just way too tough, and the, no, the break, sure. I don't want to yep. expend this much energy. Or, yo, we hit this point where we turned it around and understood, like, the pockets and understood how to really do it and, and, and rebrand and transition and what it takes, like, let's take that opportunity. No, like, yeah, for sure. Having having lived it and gone through it and been in the trenches and also having, like, a variety of experience really allows one to to make better decisions. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like so many people are scared of making a decision because they're thinking about what the outcome could be. 100%. But imagine if you forego the, the the fear of not knowing the outcome and un- understand that you don't know what the hell is going to go on until it goes on yeah and then be able to really utilize that experience and just keep moving forward it's like so many people are scared of the outcome but like imagine the beauty of the momentum i feel like that part is the most important in being able to even feel a momentum no for yeah. sure i mean in, unless you've had the the downs you don't how do you know what up is? Right, that, you, you don't. You don't know what it, unless you've been down. You don't know what up is. And For sure. With uh, with premium, I've had, I mean, seven years of ups and downs. Like sure. we've had, we've had like extremely high highs, and then we've had like really bad lows where we've like lost like thousands and thousands of dollars, and like almost almost killed us. Like. Um, we were on when we were selling jewelry. We were on Karma Loop when they were going through bankruptcy. <laughs> they owed us like twenty thousand dollars that we had. We had taken our last like five grand to make the product to get that twenty, and then so we had put our five into it and then not gotten anything back. Crazy. And this this drug out for months and months and months and. We're, I mean, we don't have funding or anything yeah. like that. So for literally for a while, we were like, we were just scraping by and somehow we made it. And then eventually we ended up settling and taking like 11 grand out of the 20 just because we had no choice or else we were like, we weren't going to live. Yeah. <laughs> and then we've had like, we've had issues where we've, we've paid like production managers tons of money to like do a certain job that they didn't do and ended up costing us like 80 grand over the course of a year. So these are things that have like, we've, we've been, we were lucky to like be able to afford those, those Mm -hmm. things like to even have the money to pay somebody to even lose the 80 grand or whatever is like a, that's like a, a big that's a, I mean that's not chump change like that's no. very real money um and so that's an executive salary right and so but to to be able to afford that <coughs> and then to lose it but then to still be to still be alive and to still bounce back and make money back is like that's what's that's kind of what has given me so much clarity with diet is mm. like whenever i and actually, in the, now that I think about it, like when I was when I was talking to Tyler about starting diet with John, one of the things that that he spoke about was the fact that we knew we had a, we had a much more 
uh, detailed roadmap. Like if you get back to the roadmap, mm. like this, this roadmap at least bypassed this dead end and, sure. and would at least get you a little bit further. So, sure. um, he knew that with what I've, what I've learned from the course of these last few years that that would help diet and myself tremendously. So, um, but I think that those, those ups and downs, even, like they'll, they kind of give you an armor, but they don't make you bulletproof. Like you, you can still, you can still get shot. So <laughs> for real, um, but the also thing is like a commitment to the process too. No, like, yeah. I mean, your entire like story up to this point is so much about the process. Absolutely. And like, this isn't something that's just short term, boom, 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 in and right. out, in and out. This is so methodical, even though it's not necessarily like planned out detailed, but it's just like that methodical way of thinking of next move to the next move to the next move, that ladder feel from where you started to where you are now with, with diet and how you're moving through the process, I think is so important. And for anyone that's getting into, to whatever venture or anything, it's like that for some reason, the, you think about the result, you think about like your goal, you think about what you want to achieve, all these like little milestones and, and benchmarks that you need to hit. For sure. But you, you don't necessarily think about the process and then think about the negative aspects of the process. But I think if you commit to the positive and the negative and just embrace like, yo, this is the journey is going to take a long time. Yeah. It's going to be move by move. Right all the way through and that's yeah. the only way you're going to learn you start to becoming more dense and i think that's like what you're seeing with with diet is like that density that you've created with yourself to create that clearer roadmap you know yeah i think that i mean i'm not super like super religious or super spiritual i, I mean i am both but not like fanatically yeah not fanatically but i think that I don't know, like I kind of back to what I was saying about when when you're doing what you're supposed to, like everything just kind of like clicks. Mm -hmm. I feel like I just kind of at a at an early age, I was I kind of just was like not even on some like. Like let go and let God stuff, but just I feel like there's there's something that's driving me that is out of my control, but it's driving me in the right direction and I'm just like sure. following it. So mm. I think that everything that I, th I maybe just because of what's kind of been like organic, I think maybe that's, that's what's driven me, but everything, every step along, or I guess mm -hmm. every step up on the ladder has just been guided by something else that I don't, I don't know if it was my doing or if it was like, a higher power or what it was, but, um, it's just super weird when you think about like how, like if you, if you take a look at, at like certain things that happened in life, there were a lot of things in my life that could have really halted this whole thing. Mm. Um, but for some, some reason I was, I mean, I was protected from like certain things, some certain things I wasn't and they almost halted it, but, um, are you thankful for those things happening? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, some of the things, some of the things were just things that didn't work out because of 
not even because of my choice. Like I still made the dumb decision and it just didn't, it just didn't happen. But, um, there were looking back there, there's a lot of uh, instances that like, that could have, could have like, I don't know, could have put me like still in Madisonville, like prison or Mm. dead or like whatever. So, um, like whatever, whatever the, whatever's giving me my direction, like I'm, I'm just following it, but I, I have no clue like where, where it comes from. And a lot of people's, a lot of people's like path is really planned out and like a lot of people like envision, like I, I, I do envision things now and I start to like, <laughs> Like write things, like write goals down, and write things that I want to happen down, and stuff like that. But I think that it's just so crazy how right now, certain like certain things are just really starting to take shape. Like yeah. how I think how they're supposed to. Like mm-hmm. um, even to how I met D and and um, Andres is my mom was telling me she is still now. She's like always sends me podcasts and stuff like that, and she sent me. I mean, she was like, you should just start listening to podcasts. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. Like, you'll find something you like. Mm. And so I just searched. I think I may have, I don't know if I searched fashion or what I searched, but I saw dramas. And um, I went to, like, the first or second one, and it was D's. And so listen to D's. Really, his story really resonated with me. And because he's, he's had those highs and lows. For like, sure. Going to the trade show, not being able to afford, like, to leave because he had to pay that that bill to get out of there and having his mom fly in and (laughs) save the day um like we've had those we've had a lot of those trade show stories where like getting ready to pay for a booth and they sold the booth to somebody else so we're like trying to throw money at them and they still won't give us the booth or going to the shows and not being able to get into the shows because we're not buyers and we don't know like we don't know the people at the desk because we're in DC, Virginia. So we don't know these, these Vegas LA people that are working the shows and like a, a whole bunch of stuff. But like, so like whenever back to D, I listened to D's podcast and I'm like, man, it, like they're super successful in my eyes. I mean, I'm pretty sure in their eyes, they're probably successful, but they probably know that there's like a higher level of success that they want to get to. For sure. I mean, as we all do, right? Of course. And so I, I don't really think too much about his story other than like, I listened to it. I respect it. And then I, I followed him. Well, actually I didn't even follow him yet. I just was like, cool, like cool story. I, so clearly like there's hope for me because they had these ups and downs, and now they're doing. They've been hundreds. through brutal ups and right. downs, but have remained resilient. Right, and so fast forward, like a couple, or maybe like a couple weeks, um, we're flying out here for like for me and John to work on the collection, and he's like, "Yo, like this guy's been hitting me for a couple months about linking up. Like, I think we should link up with him." Um, he's like, he's in fashion. I'm like, what's his name? He's like D Murphy. But I didn't, it didn't even click at first. I'm like, that name sounds so familiar. (laughs) And then I went back and, well, I Googled it and 
I'm like, yo, this is the dude whose podcast I just listened to. That's I'm crazy. like, it's crazy. So we fly out here, meet with these, and then like, I don't know if it was that trip or the next. They may have flown us right back out, and we signed a contract. And then fast forward, like, just like, I don't know. It's just like certain things in in the universe. I keep. It keeps like it's. I don't know if it's like law of attraction, but like I'll listen to a podcast, and then the person who was the guest on the podcast will hit us up like, "Yo, like we need help designing this collection for our brand. Will you design it like, like low key for us or whatever, mm. or like whatever the case may be?" But it just kept happening to where it was like certain things were kind of just being pushed my way, and I don't, I don't know like if. If I had made one wrong move in Kentucky and that that would have like thrown my whole my whole feng shui off. But for real, um, that that's just like it takes these it takes these things, these sit downs to where like I actually like sit down and reflect Mm -hmm. because I don't I don't do a whole lot of like reflection until I do these. Yeah. And so I, I often forget like what it took to even get to, to die. And as far like a lot of people look at us with Daya as, as if we've made it, but then we're still looking at people like D and Andres, like, well, we're trying to get to sure. them and drama's level and then drama and them are looking at Rob and all of those people. Like we're trying to get to that level. So the whole thing is a level up, but for sure, I'm just glad that for whatever reason, I either made the right or wrong decisions to, to lead me here. Mm. And things are clearly happening the way that they're supposed to be happening. Absolutely. That's beautiful, man. That's absolutely incredible. Yeah, man. I, it is incredible. It's <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> I mean, because like I I grew up in a at a city where like you either had you went to you you may go to college, you come back from college. Most people come go to college and come back to Madisonville and work at like I mean, unless you're like a doctor, you may work at like some weird agency that doesn't do, I don't, I don't even know what they do, but something random, like you might work at like the newspaper company or, uh, you may work at like a furniture store. Like there's really no like options other than like random jobs or like, um, like coal mines, shit. Like my, one of my first, it may have been my first job was at, Tyson's chicken factory wild and I was I had of one of my mom's friends was like a supervisor there and he got me a job on catch crew which was catching th- chicken yeah but that was like that was like one of the <laughs> the highest paid jobs that you could get what? in there at first and I think you started at like 19 an hour oh wow and this was like I was like 17 18 so the people that I knew that were working catch crew were they were like living living life like for real. And nineteen dollars in Kentucky is in Madisonville at that is like you're rich. <laughs> and so I I went, I worked there. Well, I started and so like it's you go into the you have to get there at like three AM and you they take you to the chicken houses. And it's just like a long rectangle full of chicken. And it's, I don't even know how, it's gotta be like a hundred yards 
Wild. And so it's like a almost like a football field. Like, and chickens are just on top of each other. But the I'm like a huge animal lover. So the thing that made it the worst was that there's like this. It's like this plow that drives up the middle with conveyor belts on it and it scoops the chickens up and like they like get kind of like dropped into cages but that only goes like right down the middle so there's still like hundreds of thousands of chickens on the side of that and you have to pick them up and put them on the conveyor belt but to get through you have you work until you get through like two chicken houses and that's like your shift and that takes like eight hours to get through it. And so for one, there's like chicken poop flying everywhere, feathers. You can't even, you have to wear goggles. You can't see. Wow. But then the, the people, the people are, you, they're picking the chickens up and just flinging, like throwing them. Like, oh, man. And so chickens are landing and like oh, breaking their legs and stuff. I, oh. I walked out of the joint. I, I think I stayed in there like a, a couple hours. And I'm like, nah, bro, like this ain't it. it. And so I went to, I went to the supervisor and was like, look, man, I appreciate it, but that's, that job's not for me. Like I put me somewhere where they're already filleted or whatever. So they put me in D bone where the, the breasts come out and then you slice off the fat and then you like do like two slices down the middle and then you put the, the chicken breasts in these tubs or whatever. And I, that was $11 less than catch crew. But I was like, like put me there. I worked there for like three months and then I left there. That was like right around when I went to college, like Western, Western Kentucky. And so when I was at Western Kentucky, I worked like two months at like old Navy. And then aside from that, Georgetown, that was like my only other job. And Mm so, um, but to get back to Madisonville, like you have those, those jobs, like those real industrial, For like, sure. like you might work at like a car manufacturer or like these weird factories that I don't even know what they make, but it's either you're a factory worker or you get a job at like just your local bank or something like that. So growing up, I didn't. I knew that I didn't want to work at any of those jobs, but I never really thought like I never even it wasn't like I grew up like I can't wait to get out of Madisonville. I thought that I might grow up and just be there forever mm. because it's not it's not a city that raises you to to think outside of it. Absolutely. It's and it's not it's not even necessarily one that raises you to think like you have to stay here. Not per, they don't purposely do it. It's yeah. just that's just how everybody does it like possibility of something isn't really like it's not exposed as right yeah i mean you don't see it like you don't there's there's probably now it's now it's becoming i think now with social media you're seeing you're seeing everything a lot quicker like back then there was no social media so you didn't know what people in la were really wearing unless it was like a celebrity or whatever Um, and now you're seeing like you can see everything in instantly. real time. Right. So even it's still way behind, but it's moving at a lot faster pace now. So you're seeing people like me who are from Kentucky that left, who now have a place in L.A. Absolutely. And I, there's like the younger generation who are like 
going off and moving now. But like before me, I can only think of like three or four people who like left Madisonville and like stayed gone. And if some of the people that did leave, they would they would go like an hour or two away to like mm-hmm. Louisville or something like that. But it's just a it's just a weird it's a weird area. It's really like when the, when people say the trap, like that's like that's like the trap. Like you really get trapped there. It's wild because I really think what the trap truly is 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 just kind of being okay with comfort. Mm. Oh, it's it's that's like the that's probably the best way you could you could word it too is. The biggest thing with me and like when I reflect back on on that area is just like the definition of settling like and not even to say that if you stay there, you're you settled because some people are some people are not only cool with it, but they love it. Absolutely. And some people are just like, well, this is this is all I know. And then some people are just like, well, like. I don't. Need, I didn't even know there was an option for me to leave. Right, right, Absolutely, right, right. they almost make it seem like like Madisonville's an island and you can't make it off. <laughs> but I don't know. That's. I'm just like. I'm just happy to be able to have somehow like been guided out of there. For sure. I mean, it's a beautiful thing, you know. Just hearing your journey and also just like being able to be around you. There's such a fluidity in in your demeanor and also like hearing your path. It's beautiful to see how, you know, naturally decisive you've become. Right. And just the momentum that it's created and the opportunities that it has provided for you. And I think one of the most integral parts of your journey, at least from my perspective, is along the way, you started focusing on yourself and your talents. Right. Right. That's one of the, that I think that's one of the most beautiful parts of your story is that in comparison. And I think like anybody, especially like the youth in our culture, um, in this digital age, I feel like we're a little numb to the point where we, we see so much of what everybody else is doing. We start comparing ourselves to everybody else mm-hmm. and get lost in the shuffle right. because it becomes so many opportunities to do so many different types of things that look so fucking cool, you know, when in reality, at the end of the day, us as individuals really build our cool and what that means, right? Like cool is really defined by how somebody embraces whatever it is that they, you know, their ethos is cool. Right. Um, and one of the things that really sticks out to me about your story is whether it was knowingly or not, your, your, the, the central focus of your, of your being had been focusing on your strengths, finding your passions, figuring out what you were good at, figuring out how to level up and get better at what you were already good at. It was like a perpetual path of like self-progression. Right. Right. Which really leads to this, to this point of you being able to blossom within your own, as opposed to you finding yourself as opposed to finding others. Right. Right. And as opposed to your pursuit being on, how do you latch on to cool? It, it really was, and what was so beautiful to me is it really was, how do you continue to grow within yourself, right? Which has allowed you to really, like, play these parts and appreciate these things. Naturally, there's ups, downs, lefts, rights, you know what I'm saying? But 
what I really enjoyed about the ethos of your of your path is how much of it, whether it was based on a direct decision early on or or it actually just fell into that place, is how much of your time spent mm-hmm. actually was spent on you mm-hmm. right was spent on the autonomy of your craft and was spent on building your own inclinations and your own know-how in the worlds that you were dabbling in so many of us look to so many other people for guidance when i feel like although it's the scariest if our youth in our culture spent more time just figuring out what loving themselves and understanding themselves looked and felt like and became a little more comfortable with that notion of we may feel alone, but if we find ourselves, we'll never be alone. Right. No, for sure. You know what I mean? I I think that like my personal journey has, that's kind of what has been like me now having an identity like we talked about mm-hmm. um me really becoming comfortable with my skill set um i think that i think that now is just i think bef- for some reason before it just i it wasn't something that made sense to me but now it's, it's something to where i realize how important it is that i do focus on myself as well so before it was all about premium. That's that's why I didn't have a personal page. Like mm-hmm. premium was my personal page because premium was my everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it, it gets to a point where you're like, well, I don't, I don't have to do just premium. Like there's other things that For I sure. I want to do, and even now, like it's premium and diet. But then I still freelance for other brands. Um, I handle production for like a few other clients. Um, and that's, that's something that in return is like, it's something that I'm, I'm kind of sharing my knowledge that I've gained over these last 14, 15 years. For sure. But it's, it's something that is also like something that I love to do, but in return, it, it pays the bills as well. So mm-hmm. like it's, being able to being able to create a product and sell it that's that's really cool being able to learn from creating a product and sell to somebody else how to create a product that's that's cool to me as well so For like sure. the fact that i can i can kind of show like for for instance Iman Shumpert is i do I do his clothing as well. Awesome. And so mm-hmm. like he'll come to me and say like I want to do this sweatshirt and it'll be the most like non fashion like like someone who went to school for fashion design wouldn't do the type of shirt that he's trying to do, but mm-hmm. that's what makes that's what makes fashion so great is like even like John's shoes. John didn't go to school to be a footwear designer. But if he had, his footwear designs would probably look like everybody else's that run of the mill. Yeah. So like when I do stuff with Iman, he comes to me with these ideas that when I first see them, I'm like, yo, I don't even know how to pull this (laughs) off. But then I, I figure it out 
it teaches me something new, but then it also teaches him because along the way I'm like, well, I know you want to do this. I can't necessarily do it this way because the hoodie won't function anymore. Mm -hmm. But if we do it this way, it will function. So in the process of me learning how to like create garments, it's allowing me to kind of share that, which not that he's trying to go off and like, like he wants to create. I don't, I don't know how much he wants to like know how to create for it. Sure. But for me to be able to learn enough to, to where I could offer that. And that's, that's something that I've wanted to do for a few years, but just now to the point where I feel like I, I may have just reached like my 10,000 hours. So now I like, I passed the class. So now I can, I can offer it. So it's incredible. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. That's, that's like, that's kind of like the, the newest chapter of my like personal story. And that, that's something that like, it's something that we've all collectively been speaking about for a while, having this agency that kind of offers like whatever you need creatively, whether it's marketing, whether it's clothing, whether it's like whatever, social media presence, whatever, like we have, we have a team that we've like built organically that, that excels in all of these areas. So now that's kind of like the next, not chapter as in like we're closing the diet book and, and leaving that behind because diet is still like, Diet is still so like early in its its mm-hmm. stage of Absolutely. life um, that that that's still but they're both kind of like taking shape at the same time. Yeah. So that's like that's the new birth right now is like both of these two babies like trying to to give them the nourishment they need to to like really grow <laughs> up and be successful. That's amazing, man. Thank you. It's beautiful it's to crazy. see the, the, the father that you're becoming. To not, <laughs> hold on. Not only to your friends, but also the brands that you're creating and the kind of care um, and experience that you're bringing back into the picture. Um, and, you know, I, I, I truly know that when you do have a child, you will be an incredible father as well. You Thank know, you. at the end of the day, it's just the, the ebb and flow of life. Of course. And your journey has been absolutely tremendous thank and it's you, it's, a, it's an absolute honor for yeah, us to I'm, have had you on here i'm glad to have yeah, been able to good. to like reflect myself like i as much as it's been an honor for you guys it's been one for me to like for one to have even been asked to do it that's well, like um that's an accolade in itself just because i mean i'm just big on like if when people that i look up to want to know more about my story and like um, know like why I am the way I am and so on and so on. That's, that's big to me. And then to be able to, to share my story for those that don't know my story, that's, mm. that's big too. Like this could have been just a conversation with us three without the mics and I would have enjoyed for sure. it the same way. But Absolutely. the fact that now that we have it and other people can, can hear my story and that's, it's cool when people like hit me and they're like, man, I, I live in, South Carolina and I'm I'm going through the same thing For you sure. went through yeah. like like that's one like thing, one thing is crazy and we we've, we've spoken about this at length is that one thing we all have the propensity to tend to forget is that the baseline amongst all of us is that we're all human beings exactly mm-hmm. regardless of this brand this hype this clout this 
all this, all of these things, whether you're a doctor, a teacher, a lawyer, a real estate agent, a social media influencer, a brand creator, a designer, all of these paths are relative. Of course. Like all of these different paths go through very similar ebbs and flows and yeah. very similar like doubts and fears and progressions and just like inflection points because the baseline of it all is is that it's guided by us, the human being right. that just happens to be doing something as a career. Right. As opposed to in this world these days where kind of social media has flipped it, so I see so many people attaching their personal worth and value on their craft yep. right. or on their the job that they're doing yep. as opposed to the job being the function. And I feel like that's that's probably one of the biggest reasons why you know the fear of even moving forward exists is because we just feel like it's already defined for us as opposed to finding comfort and growth in the becoming of right. these things. In that process. Um, but, you know, it's beautiful to know that human beings like your human beings like yourself exist and you know from the bottom of my heart i just hope you continue to grow and glow my brother thank yeah, you man. for real it's, it's been an absolute pleasure yeah i'm excited to see it like it will probably have to do like a follow up in like 2 oh, years absolutely this is always uh album this is, one yeah this is yeah. foundation yeah. yeah and then i will come back and then i'll be able to reflect again and you better believe that i can't wait for that mm-hmm. yeah, me neither um, but yeah, thank you guys for having me. It's been it's been a blast. You yeah, got man, it. Thank you for coming on. It's, it's it's been incredible, man. Anytime, for real. Um, Where can people find you on on the social media platforms? So Davin uh, D A V I N underscore Gentry G E N T R Y. Uh, that's me on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, and then I still run the premium underscore co uh, Instagram. And then John and I kind of both handle diet, uh, diets, Instagram, but we, we both check. So like sometimes people will DM diet and look for me. Some people look for John. Uh, but yeah, you can, you can find us all really on, on those platforms. Incredible. And then, uh, I mean, that's really, it's really the only place you can find me because that's that's where everything is at. So <laughs> yeah. that's about that's about where where I'm at for the moment. I'm I'm trying to work on like some type of some type of portfolio for myself that just kind of like speaks to what I do. Just because a lot of people until I until I started even really telling my story, a lot of people didn't really know like. <clears throat> what I do or like mm-hmm. what John does or what Tyler How can does. They before what they, we, yeah, they can if do. you don't tell them. So um, I think now that we, we do a, a pretty good job of like kind of showing like a little bit of behind the scenes. Um, but I'm eventually I I had actually bought the domain and started it and just never like followed through. But um, eventually there'll be a site that you could go to for like consulting, design, awesome. production, uh, services, uh, whatever the the agency that'll that'll kind of have like one stop shop. So For sure. awesome. whatever anybody needs. So who that should hopefully be up at least by the end of the year. Like awesome. we're all we're all so like 
like John has John Geiger Co. Like <coughs> doing his thing. I have premium. I have diet. I have the the production and stuff for the other clients. Scooty has Rock Creek. Tyler has another company with his girlfriend. So they were all so kind of like busy that it's it's kind of it's kind of becoming like diet part two in the sense of diet took probably like three years before we were actually got it together. Um, and that's probably how this agency will be is it'll like I'm I'm kind of like the the forefront of it with the clothing side right now. But then eventually we'll all like kind of become that that Voltron that you, For sure. you mentioned and link up. So it's organic, man. It's, it's in yeah. it's in y'all's path, Can't bro. It's in the it's in the it DNA. Yeah, yeah. have to. If not, it'll throw off the whole the whole direction. For sure. Everything from yeah. the beginning. Well, I sure. mean, we've come this this far being organic. It, yeah, it's not in our character to do anything that's not organic. So, yeah. Um, I mean, all I, I see y'all going. You going from Madisonville to the moon, my brother. That's what it Ooh. is. That's that's the that's um. So Madisonville to the world is kind of like a saying that somebody at the one year anniversary came up to me and said, like, just a customer. He had listened to my podcast and was like, man, it's, it's Madisonville to the world. Yeah, Madisonville to the world. Like, you got the whole world in front of you now. And that's like something that's like really like that was probably one of the most like impactful things to happen to me out in like the course of me being in this industry. Incredible. Those few like three words or whatever, <laughs> four words, like that meant that meant the world, like no pun intended. So. Um, I'm glad to, I'm glad to have been able to share the story and, and hopefully like the listeners get as much from it as, as you guys have. Absolutely. Have I have no yeah, doubt. It's been beautiful, you man. Know what I'm if they can stick through it, that's, a, that's probably, where we at, like three hours? <coughs> we hey, for sure are, yeah. <laughs> hey, we've had a five yeah. hour podcast and it's one of our most successful. That's tight though. Cause yeah. when I, the last one I did was like, two I think it was half. like two and a half and People, some like friends that don't even know my story hit me like, man, two and a half. I don't know. I'm like, well, you're not a friend if you can't listen to for real two and a half of my story because it's not it's not like it's some like made up story. So. For real. The thing about podcast, man, you can listen to it in a day, a month, Absolutely. a year. Yeah, well, just break yeah. it up. Don't what care. It takes you 50 years. For sure. You know what I'm saying? Hopefully it doesn't though. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right, y'all. That was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, man. It's your two favorite uncles signing out. Call your mother. Tell her you love her. You feel me? Boom.